lots to talk about. What do you want to start with? Do you want to start with this Microsoft Build uh, keynote? Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. Did you watch it? No, I didn't watch it. <laughs> I was going to, but I ran out of time. <laughs> Uh, yeah, sorry, I, I I failed to bail you out there. Uh, it was it was good. Uh, it, it was funny. I I really liked it the f- as I was listening to it. Like there was a very much a sort of coherent vision, you know, that took the idea of you know Microsoft by you know by necessity has to kind of you know leap over the the mobile sort of area, and to an extent they certainly have in the cloud, but kind of painting a vision beyond that. And kind of from a big picture, what I liked best is that at previous builds, there's always two keynotes. Yeah. And the first day is usually sort of the Windows keynote, and the second day is the Azure keynote. And this year, it's the opposite. Mm. Azure is the first day, and Windows is the second day. And I think that's appropriate, because that's realistically where Microsoft's growth and opportunities are. So so from that perspective, I you know I, I enjoyed it. I think the, the, the problem, though, is... <laughs> All that stuff on the edge. Microsoft talked about building a sort of thing from the from the cloud away the edge. Like they don't have very many edge endpoints, and that continues to be a problem. Hmm. Edge being the the devices that people use. Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, in, in, even on in not just mobile devices, but also sort of on computers. I mean, the big computer, the big criticism I've always had for Microsoft, and even uh, under Satya Nadella, is they've done a great job of sort of you know, locking in the folks that they've always had. But if you're a new company starting today, which piece of Microsoft software are you going to buy and why? And Microsoft doesn't have a very good answer for that question. Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, I, I would buy none. <laughs> you would, right. you, I mean, in the, you would probably buy uh, Excel, right? Yeah, I, I have Office 365. I actually use that for, for my email, in, in, in part because I vastly prefer using email on an offline client, even if it's Outlook, uh, as opposed to... It, the problem with Gmail is I have a, I have an assistant, so I have some shared mailboxes, and it only supports shared mailboxes through the online interface. <laughs> so that's honestly the reason why I use Office 365. Uh, but the... Uh, but yeah, but I mean, beyond that, I, I use Google Docs for a year, for, or Google Apps, I should say, or whatever it's called, uh, for for the first several years, and there's times I miss it, times I don't. Yeah. But but realistically, it's not really. If it wasn't for my own personal, I, I can choose software based on my own personal foibles. If I were a, an administrator, if Trajectory was a larger company, I'm sure I would be on on Google. Yeah. I mean, I'm obviously an edge case in that I, I I've lived a, a Windows free life my entire life. But uh, off the top of my head, the only Microsoft software I can think that I use regularly is right now Skype. Uh, I don't think I use anything else. I haven't had Office. I haven't had Microsoft Office in uh, oh my god, at least ten years. At least I, I don't even yeah, remember. It, I don't know if I ever even used yeah, it on Mac OS ten. Uh, you're probably uh, better off for, for for that case. But but I mean, if you use Excel like for real, there it, which I rarely do, but but the occasional times I do, it's like there's num- numbers is not really competitive. If you want to just display stuff, like make a, a little chart, numbers is actually arguably better and easier. Uh, and certainly, you know, Excel makes some really ugly charts. But if you, there are some things I occasionally do on, on Excel that, I mean, it, it, numbers just, it, it's not, numbers is what it is. Like it, it, it serves its role well. It's not an Excel competitor right. though. I don't know. I have nothing but good thing. I haven't used Excel in a long time, but I was never a serious spreadsheet person. But when I've seen like serious spreadsheets, it's, it's very impressive piece of software. 
Um, yeah, it, it's it's kind of like the. I mean, people have made this 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 point before, but it's very true. It really is sort of the programming language for normal people. Yes. Like, I mean, if, if you think about it, people are bend it to do all kinds of crazy things in part because it's offering sort of in place computation in a way that is accessible for for you know sort of normal people who don't know how to code. And obviously, there's there's, VB, there's basic on or whatever it's called virtual VB. I can't even remember what it's called. VB script. Uh, VB or basic. V, yeah, the, whatever the scripting language is. So you can do actual sort of programming, which again, it's still different than, you know, still pretty basic. But even just using an, an, a cell, you know, equals this cell plus that cell divided by that cell, like that's programming. Yeah. And and in that respect, it's it's even more impressive when you think of it in that, in that light. Even back in 1991, um, when I was a freshman in uh, college for the as a freshman I ended up switching to computer science the next year but as a freshman I was an engineering major um, and there was uh, a mandatory like uh, intro to programming course but not it again this wasn't the computer science this was you know and it was all it was ridiculous for me I mean I was like a in like the on the on the computer programming team in high school like we, I was, I was, it was great for me. I, I was the type of student you're, I don't know if you were the same, but when I got a course like that, I didn't try to place out of it. I was just like, Oh, this is great. I don't have to do any work. Um, <laughs> but it, we ended up, I think like the second half of the thing was like an intro to Pascal, uh, which dates me. <laughs> and then we were still learning Pascal, but I think the first like month of the course was all spent in Excel. It was sort of like Excel was the, this is how you learn, you know, learn to program. And I think, oh, that's interesting because it's, it's just trying to build the mindset, not right. necessarily build exactly. Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, uh, and and honestly, going through life, I bet more engineers do programming in Excel than writing source code. I mean, at least in some ways. Um, I think the other thing that Excel has as a, a and all spreadsheets, but the thing that they have that really makes them is so much more approachable for people who think they can't program but are actually doing you know creating their own custom programmatic things. Is it makes data structures completely visual and there's yeah so there's this entire layer of abstraction of creating a data structure that is completely removed it you just see it and so much data actually fits conceptually in a, a grid um and you don't even know it you don't realize that as you're setting up this two-dimensional and you know i know you can do three-dimensional stuff too but you know even if it's just two you know simple little two-dimensional spreadsheet you're creating a data structure but you don't even you know you're not really thinking about it that way yeah i think that's exactly it and you can and you can visualize you know you can literally visualize like how the numbers are moving around and, and moving through equations and you know like you're you're debugging you don't even realize you are but but that's exactly what's going on yeah anyway nothing but good things to say about excel so what else happened at this keynote what are they talking about what's the big uh what what are people need to know about where Microsoft is is wants people to go and build it for those who don't know it's their developer conference so it's you know it's it's not necessarily consumer focused but it's what they want people developers to do yeah well I think the that, that's that's part of the point is there really wasn't anything for consumers in in this at all I mean there was they had the sort of Cortana skills kit you know which which it would be you know analogous to sort of the Amazon Echo skills things like that they the they have a new database service for azure um called cosmos db which is very interesting but again speaking of data structures not really something that people you know most people would think about or 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 care about and whereas tomorrow or 
what, what time is it? Yeah, tomorrow. <laughs> I always try to speak in terms of U.S. time, even when, I, when it's not, but tonight my time. Uh, tomorrow, they will have, I think, more consumer-facing stuff. But again, I think it's, it's, it's really emblematic of the shift in the company that that is on day two. And to me, that's, that's kind of the biggest high-level takeaway. Yeah, it's they're sort of doing on their own volition, you know, under Satya Nadella, what some people ten years ago had had, or I guess more than ten years ago at this point, uh, uh, had argued that should be done by law, which is break break the Windows division off into its own subsidiary or separate company or something like that. Yep. You know, let yeah, I think that that. Let Microsoft stay focused on the future and let Windows sort of ride out the, you know, the role that it has to play as sort of legacy infrastructure. Yeah, I think that's exactly that's exactly right. And it's I didn't think they I didn't think they were capable of it. Like Windows was so long, you know, had so much gravitational pull in the company. I mean, to the extent that at one of these keynotes a while ago, like Azure was renamed Windows Azure, even yeah. though it wasn't really Windows. Uh, but but yeah, that's a great point. Oh, here, one of my favorite sort of little details here is they announced uh, there's now you can access uh, the the command line in the sort of the, your Azure dashboard or whatever it is, like through, through a web browser or on a mobile app. And it supports Bash today and PowerShell is coming. PowerShell is the sort yeah. of command line uh, program for Windows. And to me, that, that's, that, that, really, that shows it, right? The, wh- which one do they support first? They support Bash because what actually matters for most cloud applications is what most developers are used to is you know, Linux and, and the Linux shell and that's where, and so that's what they're serving first. And the Windows part is coming, but it it will come it will come soon. Um, yeah, I think isn't PowerShell in a nutshell like there was the DOS prompt, and PowerShell is sort of the okay, you want a command line terminal type thing, but the DOS is a piece of crap. So here's something you know modern and and at least maybe not modeled after Unix shells, but at least is as powerful as the Unix shell. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a it's a whole thing. I mean it, it, it's you know it's a shell and a whole link, uh, you know script, its own scripting language, and it's now actually open source, believe it or not. But it, yeah, it was released in two thousand six, I believe. I'm just looking it up. So I mean it's it's very far removed from the sort of DOS days. I mean it's a proper shell, like if it's used very heavily by system administrators and and folks that are managing computers and and things like that. And it's used on the server. So it, I mean it, it's a proper shell. It's but it's not you know it's different than as as one would expect, it's different right. than than Bash. Can I just, as an aside, it's so funny because I didn't think we'd be talking about shells. But I uh, do. You, do you ever use do you use the command line on Mac OS ten? You use it sometimes, right? Very, yeah, rarely. I mean, I, I have a couple servers that uh, oh. not my not the Strecky server that's managed, but um, I have a few other servers that I do stuff on, um, and I use it for that. But I I rarely I don't do much scripting on on my main computer. Do you do you care what shell you use? No, I don't. I don't care at all. I, I use it. I use it very rarely. I've I've used the Unix shell since at least 1992. That's when I when I switched to computer science at Drexel. Um, and I, I I've you know I mean I'm I'm I know enough to get whatever I need to do done, but I've never enjoyed it. Never really, and I never really liked writing shell scripts. And so if I ever had anything that you, most people would write a shell script, once I found out about Perl, I just wrote everything in Perl and just treated Perl, if I needed to, as, as my shell scripting language. So I never really got deep roots. And I know, I think, 
I think Mac OS ten used to when it first shipped was using TCSH as the shell or something. I, I don't know. And at some point it switched to Bash because Bash sort of become is like the most popular modern scripting language because Linux uses it. I think. Um, but I never had deep roots. Like it was never like like people get tied up and they have like these shell or, or files. You know the the what do you call it? Your profile where you've got all these aliases and and all this stuff set up so that you can't really switch shells very easily because you'd have to rewrite it all. So anyway, recently uh, I switched my shell here on my Macs to uh, Fish. Have you heard about this shell? Uh, I've I've heard you chatting about it, but I, no, I. It's fascinating, and I think anybody who has deep roots into a, a Unix shell is not going to switch. But it's uh, like a new shell. It's you know something that uh, this guy Peter Ammon made. Uh, he's a uh, engineer at Apple. This isn't an Apple project. It's something he did on the side. But it's amazing. And it, I, the thing I like about it is it's like completely logical in terms of how you do stuff, and uh, it, it doesn't have any kind of it. it by separating itself from from the history of Unix shells, it breaks a bunch of um, things that other Unix shells all do. But it, and like just for one thing, one thing that's so nice is that instead of spewing a whole bunch of like dot files, you know, the Unix way of making a file quote unquote invisible is you yeah. start the name with a dot, which is so gross that we're still using that. Um, <laughs> But they, they 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 you end up with like six of these files in your home folder for each shell that you use because and they're and they don't have names yep. that make any sense and no they drive me up the wall I know exactly what you're talking about right I, I it doesn't make any sense at all with fish you still have it you know a dot file but it's um it, it's a folder what is it called it's called. Uh, boy I'm really exciting tonight aren't I I should do this late at night all the time. <laughs> It? It's called, I think it's called like dot config or something like that. But there's, and it's a, it makes a folder instead of a file. And it's just one folder called dot config. And inside there is, um, is where everything else goes. So you just, there's like a folder in dot config that says fish. And then inside that folder is all of fish's stuff. So if other utilities use this convention, Everything could go nice and neatly into one folder called dot config. Anyway, it's really neat. I'll put a link in the show notes to fish. It's really, I think it's really neat. So, you know, oh, th- it reminds me. When was the last time I was on? Um, Two thousand January twenty seventeen looks like. Yeah. And we we talked about the Mac a little bit then. And I, I I do have to say I think pretty much that that episode holds up I think pretty well after the after the the news that's come out about the Mac Pro and, and, and things like that. Like I think our, our general presumption was that there was a screw up. They wound up beta but couldn't and they're not abandoning the platform and, and it was just a screw up. And I think that's that's basically what ended up what ended up happening. So that I'm glad we uh glad we got that one right. Yeah, I think so too. Anyway, before I leave fish, I'll just say this. If you're a nerd and nerdy enough to use the terminal, but you've somehow never gotten attached to Bash or Seashell or Z shell or any of those things, uh, you should give fish a try. It's really easy to install through homebrew. And uh, I like it so much more than any shell I've ever tried because it's, it just somehow makes sense. It makes sense that it comes from somebody who works at Apple because it, it sort of makes sense in the way Apple software does. 
Right. right. That's what made me think of it is, is the idea of like change, like one, even having uh, access to a shell and being able to change it and all the things you can do through a shell. Like that's, it's, it's a thing you do on computers, uh, right. which is, that, 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 I was trying to remember why I went back to that last episode, but yeah, that's why. I mean, it's, it's a great example. Yeah, it does things like it has, like, if you want to change the color, the syntax coloring for the shell, like, for which, like, a command is this color, the arguments are this color, the output's this color, an error is this color. You, when you config, you don't have to just type in a file. You can do something, and it opens a little web, local web browser window, and so you can visually pick the colors and see actually see the colors as you edit them. It's, it, oh, nice. Amazing stuff. It's oh. Anyway, it's really cool. <laughs> so anyway, PowerShell. Is is coming soon, it, and Bash is already is the default and first available thing. That's yeah, for, amazing for, for this for this dashboard sort of interface. For the other thing I saw was announced Azure. was I forget what they call it, but whatever Microsoft's version of Xcode is, what's it called? Uh, virtual Studio, Visual Studio, whatever. Oh, they Visual call Studio, it, yeah, not Virtual Studio. Uh, visual Studio is now. I know it's not wasn't a surprise, but it's uh, there's a version of it for Mac now, which is crazy. Yep. Yep, and they they did a demo, uh, and, and it was more like, oh, we're doing a demo on a Mac. It wasn't like a we're demoing this program. They, right. it was actually, when they were doing the, I think it was when they were demoing the the, the shell, uh, and it was on a Mac. Yeah, um, and that it, you know, it, it it's of a piece. It's the exact same, you know, two sides of the same coin with the Windows um, keynote being on day two. The entire idea that y- y- if you're developing on Windows server-side technologies, the assumption that you're developing with a Windows client and with your hands on the keyboard is no longer there. Like, they're completely com- you know, committed and realized that, uh, I don't know if it's a majority of developers, but certainly an en- enormous chunk of them are using Macs as their client, whether they're writing Mac software or not, even if they're just doing like web development or Windows development or something like that, or ser- anything server-side, I think. There's an enormous chunk of them who are using MacBooks. Yep. No. Yep. And uh, and the platforms that they're developing for, um, you know, yes, on PC it's still you know Windows still has a you know dominant more than dominant share, but PCs aren't uh, PCs are the past. I mean, in a very real way, or in you know to a topic I'm sure we'll get to, there they were never even a thing. So. and that's that's a reality that Microsoft has to deal with for, and to and and I think they by and large are again. That doesn't mean that they're out of the woods because they still have, they still have to actually reach consumers, actually get in front of them, both in terms both, and that applies to business just as much as it applies to to end users. But at least they're you know not stuck focused on focused on the past. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now we're in the un- unusual. <laughs> Like how things change situation where Microsoft is the company that's flexible about what what machines people are using to develop against their technologies and Apple's the company that makes you develop on a Mac to write for their phone OS. Right, exactly, exactly. Not that I blame Apple for it. I, I might have come out as me, you know, blaming them. I, it makes perfect no, sense. No, they can. But, but uh, it's, just, it's just a funny situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Apple's I mean, the the, Apple's the company with an operating system with such overwhelming overwhelming market share that they can compel developers to buy a machine that they otherwise wouldn't buy just to do development for it. 
Yeah, it's it, 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 it's hard to, especially if you were following Apple. I mean, I'm sure it's harder for you than for me. I mean, back in I was following Apple in the '90s, but I wasn't using one. Uh, and to really appreciate the extent to which they are not the underdog at all, it, like it, it's it's easy easier for that situation to change on the ground before it's before it changes sort of your mental state. And uh, I think that's I think that's a problem for Apple. That that was an app problem for Apple internally too. Like the way you act and behave changes when you're when you're dominant as opposed to when you're you know the sort of scrappy scrappy underdog. Yeah. Um. Yeah, totally. So, what else is going on at uh, Surface or not Surface at Build? You know, that's the conference I was I was at the one time. I was in a video. Yes, that's right. Uh, it feels the, like uh, a long time ago. <laughs> well, it's it's it. I mean, it's crazy. How, I mean, it, had, it was a while ago. I mean, it has to have been what four four or five years ago. Three years ago, I think. I think it was, was that three. All? I think so. That was for some reason I thought I was still in the states when that happened, but yeah, I think it was three years ago. But I could be wrong. But long story short, for those who don't remember, this was when I was working with Brent Simmons and Dave Whiskas. We called ourselves Q Branch. We had our app Vesper, and um, we did the syncing our own syncing backend um, for various reasons. But we built it on. I guess I think we were there. We were doing it at the time when they called it Windows Azure. and they made like they made us one of the uh, like examples in a little video that they showed on the in the keynote. Flew us out there and everything. It was kind of nice, kind of weird. Though. They have, yeah, they have this. Uh, they have a real time translator for Microsoft PowerPoint that's kind of nifty. Uh, so when you, you can be presenting and it will be show like real time translation of the yeah. uh, of the uh, is of the yeah. So that's kind of interesting. But again, I mean, it's it was mostly like it was it was mostly all all backend stuff. So uh, which 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 is fine. I think as far as consumer facing stuff, you know, the one today is probably going to be more more interesting. But then again, they just announced the the Windows S and the new laptops uh, a couple weeks ago. So I, I think they're they're supposed they're supposed to might be a Cortana speaker, like a like an Echo type device. Yeah, uh, which. Um, but again, you know, I mean, actually getting customers to getting customers' hands is gonna is gonna be the the challenge. I, I guess the reason I was gonna say, like, as somebody who observes Apple, it's weird because I I ex, I, I, ex, I have muscle memory, you know, and and it's weird to see a company that's so on Apple like, uh, like it's baffling to me that they would hold an event. Uh, a week before their big developer conference where where they would talk about a new operating system and unveil these new products like why wouldn't you do that in a keynote but i'm guessing you know the the keynote this morning ran long and then the windows one tomorrow their their keynotes already already run long right, right. i mean and, and today was really i mean it was much more of yeah, it was pretty hardcore, like backend development or uh, line of business application sort of stuff. I mean, it wasn't a really consumer facing thing at all. It, not in, not not in the slightest. And yeah, maybe they could have announced the the things tomorrow, but I think yeah, there's a very clear sort of bifurcation. And I think you, you nailed it before. Like Windows is sort of its own thing, particularly the consumer facing side of Windows. And I think they, they there's relatively free reign to do what they can to. Mm-hmm. You know, support and earn customers, but that doesn't necessarily really have much impact, uh, particularly from a strategic perspective, on the rest of Microsoft, which is, you know, really the the future of the company. And that's probably this is probably a good, a good example of that. Uh, 
It was weird. I know today's build, they move it around, I think, all the, I think they often move it around, but this year's is in Seattle. When I went two or three years ago, three, four years ago, whenever it was, it was in San Francisco in Moscone, which only added to this sort of uh, weird feeling. Bizarro. Like I was in a bizarro developer, a bizarro WWDC. Um, because they even had the keynote at third floor, you know, where app, what Apple always calls the room Presidio, um, you know, the, the, those big convention spaces are sort of like modular, you know, there's walls that can be moved around to, to change the shape and, and make rooms slightly bigger or smaller. Um, but the thing that Microsoft did, and I've seen so many keynotes in that room because Macworld Expo used to have keynotes in the same room, WWDC every year. Um, well, I guess those are the two things, but they're Macworld Expo and WWDC keynotes in that room. And Apple's configuration of the room is almost always the same. It's a very, if it, you'd almost think that it, the room always looks like that, but it's actually like an Apple setup. Like it, when WWDC is done, all those, everything in there is out. And the thing that Microsoft did was they had their stage along what in Apple's configuration is the side. Like Apple sets the room with the stage in the front and the room goes back long. Microsoft set it up so that the stage was wide and the room wasn't as deep. And they said right. in a way that that made sense, even though it made more, more people, everybody was closer to the stage in Microsoft's configuration, but people were further from the center if you didn't have a center seat. And they made up for that by having huge screens that were just showed the same instead of having one big screen that shows something, they had like a wall of screens that all showed the same thing over and over again. Um, and it just weirded me out. It was just, it's, it's, it's <laughs> you know, it's like coming home and somebody has moved all of the furniture. Like everything is the, the same, except they've rotated every, every room in your house by 90 degrees. <laughs> that would be weird. Uh, but yeah, no, no, uh, no Moscone keynote again this year. I mean, it's right. been, well, they've been in the, uh, the, what is it? The Billy, Billy Graham Auditorium. Right. Uh, is that what it's, what it's called? I have, um, I have something like that. I don't think yeah, they might, but, they might never do, Apple might never do a Moscone right, keynote again. That's what I was just going to say. Yeah. It might be, uh, which is fine. It wasn't, it wasn't the greatest. I didn't like the, I, I'm not a big fan of the Apple setup in Moscone. I'm not either, really. I don't have anything against it, but I thought the Microsoft setup was actually very nice. I have it; it, it worked very well, um, and I felt like everybody got to. You couldn't really see, may not be able to see the actual people, but if you know, I, I feel like if you were sitting seated along the side, you had a much bigger screen in front of you than you get seated in the back in Moscone and Apple setup. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I don't think Apple Apple might never have an event in San Francisco again. You never say never. I mean, who knows? But. I because I, I feel like for their smaller events they're going to have them at their headquarters in the Steve Jobs Theater, right? I don't think you name the theater Steve Jobs Theater unless you intend to use it quite a bit to unveil new products, right? Like I'm sure they're you know. It, have you been to the new campus yet? No, I've never. I don't even know where it is. I was asking about it when I was out there for the um, uh, Mac Pro Summit, uh, or whatever you want to roundtable discussion. Um, it was a. I guess it just isn't close. I don't know. Uh, to be yeah, finished. I, know, I, I used to work there, so I, I, I in one of the buildings that was that was torn down. So I, I definitely know where, where it is. But yeah, it's 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 like another exit down the freeway from from where the current campus is. So, right, and I did. I mean, you can a, you can drive there through 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 city roads, but um, but yeah, it's a little bit of a hike. It's it's yeah. on the other side of the freeway. Uh, so it it just wasn't convenient, and I didn't have a car, so it wasn't like I was going to take an Uber to 
go look at a construction site. I mean, those right. the flyovers that people publish from those drones are probably better than what you'd get looking at the ground from the outside. Yep. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, well, I, I mean, maybe. Uh, I mean, I, you got to imagine uh, the. Well, I guess we'll see with the iPhone with the iPhone announcement. But they did that. They did that in San Jose also, not last year, but for the uh, when they did the watch. The watch unveiling was was in San Jose. Uh, yeah, where was that? I forget where it was. I, I don't think it was San Jose. No, it was at the um, the watch unveiling was at the um, the college in Cupertino. Um, oh, is that was that in Cupertino? Uh, but we, yeah, I, I thought but that at was the, in at the, it's like some I forget the name of the college, but Danza or something. I, I forget what the hell it is, but it was not. No, the one that was in San Jose was an iPad event, like in 2011, I think, or 2012. I don't know. It was right before Scott Forstall got fired. How was the uh, How was the the Danza uh, auditorium or whatever it was? Eh, it was all right. It wasn't it wasn't anything to write home about. That was the one where Apple built a big mysterious white box out front. Right, right, right. And that was Danza College. Yep, that's yeah, what it Deanza, is. is that what it is? Danza College. Yep. Um, it was okay. Uh, I, I, I'm not surprised that they haven't been back since. <laughs> I don't think it was great. I think the one thing people don't seem to understand is that the Steve Jobs Theater is not that big either. Like, there's no way they can't have, um, uh, like a WWDC keynote there. I saw some people have speculated that you know maybe this year they'll secretly bus everybody to the new campus to have the keynote there or something. It's like that's that. No, a, you can't you can't bus five thousand people there. But B, it's not a five thousand person auditorium. I don't know what the seating capacity and, and is. And C, but, they don't want five thousand people running around on campus. So. Right. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think they want people on their campus. Well, um, I mean the old the old uh, the old one town. Uh, what, what's it called? Town Hall. Uh, yeah, town hall. That I mean, that was tiny. That it was, is tiny. Uh, it was like, but I, so I, I'm sure. Yeah, that makes sense though. I mean, I, I, I suppose the, I bet WWC will, will end up back in San Francisco. We'll see. I, they'll probably see how it goes this year, and then because I mean, the reason it's in San Jose this year is because Moscone Center is under construction. I don't believe so, that. Uh, I don't believe that. I really don't. Well, well, you, but basically all of the, but everyone is not in Moscone by and large. Like, have, have there been any big events there? I mean, I know only part of Moscone is under construction, but I don't think Apple is the only one to. Well, there's to stuff move. on the schedule if you look. It's so north and south, Moscone north and south. The big like the Expo Hall ones are closed and they're ripping up the street. I, I, if there's an argument for it, it's the fact that they've got the street ripped up. I guess that's Howard Street is all ripped up. Uh, for the north and south expansion, but Moscone West is still open and is not being renovated. And I've, you know, before Apple made this announcement, you could look on the schedule and there were, you know, there was like one open week in June, but the, otherwise, there's stuff in Moscone Week, uh, Moscone West, all the time. I could be wrong. Yeah, no, you're right. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, who cares if the streets ripped up? I've seen people say, "Well, the streets all ripped up." Well, who who gives a crap? I don't know. You'd say, nobody's not like everybody's driving down Howard Street to get to WWDC. I think if Apple wanted to have it at Moscone West this year, they would have. I think there's oh. other reasons, you know, whether they got a better deal, whether they really, you know, I, I do think, I think Apple is, if you can put a personality on a company, they're a homebody company. They, they don't, they're not a San Francisco company. I know they have a couple of offices there, but you know, they, they really are at, as a company, they're at home on their campus in Cupertino. And I feel like they, 
being closer to home is better for them. Yeah, no question. I mean, the, you mean just being in the valley. I mean, they're they're not. It's its own insular sort of culture. Like it's right. it's much less sort of interspersed. I mean, obviously at an employee level, that's not necessarily the case. But especially once you get more into senior management, I mean, it's it's its own world. Like it's in yep. the same geographic area, but the rest of the valley, I think, is much more. Uh, intertwine with Google, and there's much more of a sort of back and forth in in that perspective when it comes to sort of big valley companies and and you know and, and San Francisco. But yeah, my, Apple has always been its own its own sort of universe, yeah. and you see it you see that all, all over the place, not just in the valley. You see it sort of online. You see it uh, when it comes to Apple fans. There's lots of people who are Apple fans that are that are not necessarily tech fans. Uh, you know, I, I certainly see that when it comes to like readers, uh, and you see it, you know. In popular culture, where it's interesting, it really is its own sort of its own sort of entity for better or worse. Yeah, Uh, and I think at a practical level, it's absolutely the case. I mean, there's no argument, no spin. It's just just a fact that San Jose is so much closer to Apple's campus or campuses in Cupertino that um, for engineers at Apple who have things to do that week that they need to be at the office, they can swing by, they might be able to do a couple of hours work in their office and then go to WWDC in the afternoon um, for labs or something like that. And people might get, you know, attendees might get interaction with significantly more engineers from Apple who couldn't take an entire day uh, to go up to San Francisco because it's night and day. I mean, San Francisco is, can be over an hour away depending on traffic. And San Jose, it's you know probably like ten fifteen minute drive. Yep, uh, yep, exactly. You you found us. You found a good spot for for the talk show. Yeah, yeah. I'm in the California theater where um, uh, the that iPad event was. The one that was in San Jose. So is is it a lot bigger than than the old place? The place where I had my show. Yeah. Oh my God! It's so much bigger. It's I think yeah, it's it, like, it has like an eleven hundred seat capacity, and I think oh, wow. at. Uh, when we had it at mezzanine in San Francisco, which I love, which I still, if, if you know, I love that facility. I love doing the show there, but it, I think we capped it at 500. I think you could, mezzanine's uh, um, attendance cap is significantly higher than that, but 500 seems to, you know, and, and judging from people's reactions over the years, it, it's, it keeps it from getting too crowded. Like I don't want right. to pack the most number of people in there. I, I feel bad when people like, I think tickets sold out in like 10 minutes last year. So I feel bad that um, people who want to go can't come, but I, I, I'd rather have everybody, I'd rather have fewer people come and more people excluded, but have everybody be comfortable. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Are there going to be drinks? Uh, I think that's probably the, the more pressing question. There will be drinks. And I don't know how that's going to work uh, because it's a the, it's a real theater theater. And I don't know how yeah, easy I'm the pictures right now. Right, I don't know how easy it'll be for people who are sitting in the middle of a road to, to go get drinks. So I don't know. It might have to be sort of a, uh, you know, get your load on, <laughs> get your load on before the show starts type situation. <laughs> no, that was the great thing about Mezzanine. You could like, I mean, obviously there was the seating, and if you're in a seat while well, the you know interviewer or, or you know the show was going on, you wouldn't get up and go. But you could also just sort of be in the back and be, you know, mingling a little bit yep. and getting a drink and and uh, so yeah, it was it kind of served a. You could watch you could watch the show in multiple in multiple ways, which yeah. was which was nice. Uh, well, we'll see. I don't know, but eleven hundred people, Jesus, that's going to be nerve wracking. Uh, as a balcony and everything, it does. It's it, oh, it's very beautiful. I'm looking at the I'm looking at the pictures right now. Yeah, uh, tickets still aren't on sale, but they will be soon. 
Oh, that's right. Oh, okay. I I, I, I forgot that you hadn't. Uh, had not, not, maybe you can get them on sale by the time you post this podcast. I am. A, you know, I'm not waiting until the last minute, but it's there's lots of little. It's not too much work. I don't have to. It's not like I'm sitting there hooking microphones up and stuff. But uh, there's a lot of details to be worked out yet. Anyway, well, hopefully, hopefully, I didn't give give anything away. That, no, 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 not, not, none of that's a secret. It, uh, even the venue is it's right there on Apple's website and stuff like that. So I'm not keeping it secret. Um. Anyway, let's take a break. I'll thank our first sponsor. It's our good friends at Fracture. Fracture is the photo decor company that's out to rescue your favorite images from the digital ether. That's their words, not mine. Here's what they do. They take your photos and they print them directly on glass, right there on the glass, on the glass, not a piece of paper glued to glass. They, I don't know what they have. They have custom proprietary stuff. They just put glass into the printer. The printer puts your photo right on the glass and then they mail it to you and it looks amazing. It's got that retina effect where it just looks like it doesn't look, it looks there's just such a different effect than a piece of paper behind a piece of glass in a frame. And it takes all the pain and the ass stuff out of hanging pictures up because I, I this happens to me every time. Every time I, I used to get like Ikea frames or something like that, and you put a photo in there and then you have to, to get those little things on the back that take that secure the cardboard, you flip them up and then you put the picture in and you put the cardboard back in and you flip them back down. And inevitably the picture goes like two degrees off and you got to open it up, start all over again. What a pain in the ass with the, the pictures from fractured. There's nothing like that can happen. It's just a piece of glass. So it's always perfectly aligned and they ship you everything you need to hang it on the wall in the box. They even include the wall anchor. Just upload your digital photo on their website, pick the size and just wait for it to show up in the mail. That's it. Could not be easier. Uh, where do you go to find out more? Uh, FractureMe.com slash podcast. Not, every, every time I read it, I feel like I'm making a mistake and that that's some kind of placeholder, but that's really the URL. FractureMe.com slash podcast. And then uh, I guess they use the same URL for all podcasts. But then at the end, when you buy it, they'll say, hey, where'd you find out about Fracture? And you can say the talk show. Uh, hey, go buy some for Father's Day. It's a great, great gift. Too late for Mother's Day. Mother's Day is like two days from now, but uh, Father's Day is coming up next month. What an amazing gift. Go buy a fracture for your for your, your father, your husband, anything like that. Uh, what a great gift. Well, I, Fracture Me is is memorable. Yeah. It's a, URLs, are, URLs are hard. There's someone was, was making fun of, uh, there is a tweet on the effect of, Tech people are so are so uncreative that they have a site about strategy and tech culture techery, and I'm like, it's it's true. <laughs> I have no I have no excuse. I mean, Derek Fireball is always I'm always like, damn it, I should I should have hired you to to yeah. get a name, to find me a name before I started, but yeah, now just, it's now it's too late. I'd still be but the other thing too is, is getting into URLs hard. And the, the, one of the things when I started, I had no money. I was I was in debt, you know, and the idea of like going out and spending money to get a a URL or whatever or Twitter handle all that stuff like one of the advantages of trajectory is it was available um I would I like I said I probably wouldn't use it again if I was starting over because it's you know so hard to say hard to spell uh, <laughs> which is not a good not a good combo but but yeah it's it's hard you, the whole URL Twitter handle thing is uh it's tough you know and I, 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 I I remember fracture me especially now after you sort of made that 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 little joke you know that I have uh, DaringFireball.com, right? Yeah, but it redirects to .net. Right, and some people don't ask about that anymore. In the early years, people would be like, "Why? Why do you? Why do you redirect to .net? Why not? You know, wouldn't wouldn't most people if they have both redirect to .com?" 
and at, I think it's like it, to me, it's like I started using the internet so early when most domains weren't .coms, you know, like .orgs and .edus. .edus were probably the most popular that I used, uh, and .net too. But to me, .com was sort of crass in the early years, and I know that in the you know after the .dot you know, even called the bubble the dot com bubble. Like dot com sort of became the 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 neutral one, right? It's like ground zero of all the top level domains. Like by default, you want a dot com. But like when I was, I, I, I'm in my mind, it's still is sort of crass. I don't know. Like in the early years, all the dot com sites were uh, garbage. Right. Well, it's, it was supposed to be like commercial, right? right. I, I think that's what it stands for. And then, right. yeah, I mean, I like, I like, I agree. I, I like .NET better. Uh, but yes, I give in to the, uh, to the prevailing. I own Certificate.net also, but it, it redirects in the opposite direction. Right. And like Kotki, I think a lot of early, early types, you know, like me. And I always Kotki. did like Kotki.org. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it wouldn't work. Like neither, it, it somehow is part of the domain. Like Kotki.net wouldn't be right and kotki.com would be awful like it just it wouldn't be the same like kotki.org is exactly right and for whatever reason in my mind it's just like when you rewrite a sentence and just use the same words but you put a clause in the middle of the sentence as opposed to at the end or something like that and one way it reads great and one way it doesn't to me daringfireball.net reads better than daringfireball.com i remember the great thing go ahead go ahead ben Oh no! I was just—I was just going to say the great thing about Daring Fireball is it's so distinct that you can one if you type if you type in the URL and the thing is that no one actually types you know us us nerds do but the vast majority of people don't even you know type URLs like the Google has the whole you know. Uh, like a huge number back in the day, like they, they could track how popular Facebook was because by people, you know, typing Facebook into Google to go right. to Facebook. Uh, well, so for more people, it doesn't really register, but that's the great thing about doing fireball. Even if you do URL or you do a Google search, whatever it's going to, it's memorable and it's going right. to come up right away. Uh, wasn't there a thing where oh, I, off the top of my head, I'm not remembering it right, but there was a thing where the number one result for Facebook login was no longer the Facebook login page. And, the, the poor bugger who had the, it was just some guy's site or something, and the, the guy was just inundated with thousands of people saying, "How do? What have you done to Facebook? This doesn't look like Facebook." Do you remember oh, this? That, that I, I don't, but that would be brutal, right? It was pretty because that's how people get to the Facebook login sign. They go to Google and then type Facebook login and hit return, and yep. expect expect to be taken there. Oh, funny stuff. That's how my son gets around the internet. He just types stuff into Google. Yeah, I, I, that's that's pretty normal. I mean, that's pretty normal behavior. I mean, if people, you know, to the extent people are still using the internet, I mean, it's uh, it, it it's a really shows the extent to which uh, Google is the sort of linchpin for the internet. Yeah. I mean, yes, you can type URLs to go to places, but the reality is, in the way that people actually experience on, online is is through Google. It's not just about like typing Facebook into the Google search page, but the, the internet. There's just so much stuff. There's there's so many things that it's you know incomprehensible to to anyone, even the smartest person. On, person on earth i mean and google what makes google so brilliant and such a brilliant sort of invention is that you know the old 
search engines, the more stuff there was, the more they bogged down because they were, you, you know, I mean, the original Yahoo was literally a directory. I mean, obviously <laughs> the future search engines were you know, were much more sophisticated, but Google by sort of building on top of the link instead of building on top of the pages themselves, well, it turned out when you got more links, Google got smarter and understood it better. And well, when the web got larger, everyone else got worse except for Google, which actually got even better. And yeah. and and that's you know that's sort of the core piece of the company's dominance and and why they're the you know the linchpin uh, for for the entire internet. Which brings us to um, uh, Windows 10s and the way that. Uh, on Windows 10s, you can't change your default search engine. You you get Bing and you like it. Yeah, and I think that's I I believe they're giving away 10s to, to yes the I think OEM. So. so that's that's the primary way that they're going to. I mean, obviously there's app cells as well, right. uh, but app cells and um, and Bing searches and stuff like that. I think Bing is actually profitable now, or uh, or, or very close to it. It has been for a little bit actually. It should be. Don't you think? I mean, it doesn't make sense that they would keep that they'd keep losing money on it. Because I mean, how much you know? How much could it cost other than labor? You know. To yeah, well, it, yeah, it, it's one of those things where uh, it, it, it's not like a linear sort of thing where they make a little more money, a little more money, and that now they're profitable and they're growing. Like it's like you're either losing a lot or you're making a, a, a good amount. Like once you get the sort of scale effects that are that are kicking in. Uh, but yeah, it, but it's still it's still actually growing pretty decently. I, should, uh, I think five five point three billion in revenue uh, the last fiscal year. Yeah. I should try it again. I haven't tried Bing in a while. I, I on different Macs or different devices at any given time. I sometimes switch to DuckDuckGo, which I admire as the plucky little startup. Uh, you know, and they're local to Philly too. It's, it's it gives me a little affection for them. Um, but I have to admit that there there's a lot of times with DuckDuckGo where. It, it's semi free. Yeah, if you're going to do it, you at some point in the week you're going to be typing. There's a trick they have. You can even type like G exclamation mark, and it redoes the same query but redirects you to Google. Because there's just sometimes it's you know it's it's not as good as Google search. I mean they do some really cool stuff, and I like the privacy aspect of it, but it's not as good. But the thing that surprises me is I I thought Microsoft might catch up to Google search with Bing because it seems like the sort of problem that Microsoft would be able to solve. Like it never surprises me that Microsoft software never has as nice of a UI as Apple software because it's institutionally they're just they just don't have the people who have the the taste for that. But web search is really just you don't have to have taste for that, you know? It's it's a purely algorithmic challenge to get that right. Well, nah, not quite. You need data. I mean the the thing with Google is it is a the algorithm itself is far it's far beyond a any one person could you know it was designed by a person to start but at this point it's so complex and convoluted and a lot of it is is just constant iterative feedback so okay. when people are doing searches not and not I'm not talking about, not talking about the individualized searches just as a whole like which results are the quick like google wants the first the the proper result to be the first result so they are tracking which result you actually click on where how far down you go and and Plus, websites are optimizing themselves for Google, and they, and so Microsoft has to you know attach onto that. But it's one of those situations where, thanks to the feedback loop that comes from having the most data and the most users and the most searches, 
if two identical search engines, if one starts at 51% market share and one starts at 49% market share, absent sort of any exterior force, the one with 51% market share is going to get better. Right. Uh, over time relative to the other one, which means, which, and then when it gets better, that lets it get more users because it's a, it's a better search engine. And then it gets even more data relative to the competition, so it even has a bigger advantage. So the reality is, is even Microsoft can have the smartest sort of search folks in the world, but because it's a problem that's not just about algorithm design, it's, it's about the entire sort of system and having an iterative feedback loop, they will, it's very difficult to uh, to ever catch up absent some sort of like incredible, you know, breakthrough. You can't in, buy in your way out technology. of it. You can't, there's no way to th- throw right, money exactly. at it. It doesn't get you there. That's interesting. I think you're, that to me has to be the explanation because I just don't think that, I don't think the problem is that Microsoft doesn't have the intelligence in the engineering to do it. I, you know, and they obviously had no problem spending money on it, you know, for years, famously, they were losing billions on Bing. Um, I think that's just it, though. That Google's so popular that it, it, you know, that their popularity feeds upon their accuracy, right? Or, or their accuracy feeds the, upon their popularity. And this is where Google is, in some respects, it's like a Facebook effect, but it's like there, there is a, a sort of network effect, but it's not necessarily about people per se. It's the interaction between people and the sort of data they generate. Right. But you get the same sort of idea where the larger service, like, because I think I always write a lot about user experience. And the point I always have to, I sometimes forget to make this. And when I forget to make this point, I always regret it because I get a bunch of people asking me, you know, pointing, asking questions. User experience does not mean user interface. User interface is an important part of the user experience and is critical, you know, for something like a phone, for example, that's in your hand and you're, you're interacting with. And actually, you know, if you talk about, you know, WeChat stuff, we can talk about this in, in a a little bit, but the user experience is the, the totality of the experience, which means you know having better search results means it's a better experience. Having more friends on Facebook, more family on Facebook, not having to try to recruit people to get on there means it's a better it's a better experience that has nothing to do with the interface per se. And these aspects of the experience are they build on themselves, and this is why you have these companies that are so dominant. And what makes it so tricky, and I've I've been writing a lot about this, you know, over the last year or so. The, these companies are so powerful because of these sort of data effects and these network effects. And they're powerful in a way that's actually better for the consumer. Like Google is popular because it's better, which means it gets more users. And when it gets more users, it actually becomes even, even better, which means it's, 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 so it's, it's positive on the user perspective. And same thing with Facebook. It has the most users, so it, it, more people join it because it's there. And the more people join it, now it has more users. And you get the same sort of feedback loop where people choose it because it's better. And that sort of makes, from an antitrust perspective, that makes sort of U.S. antitrust like fall completely apart because it's based on consumer benefit. And there's actually, they're providing a ton of consumer benefit. That's why they're winning. Right. Um. <laughs> Sorry, that was a summary of like 15 Shakespeare articles that I've been <laughs> writing about. Uh, did you see the story that I think The Verge had it that uh, the Surface laptop? Now, the most like unique thing about these Surface laptops that they announced is that the other than the keyboard and the trackpad, the, the what you touch on the front face is um, like a like a soft touch leather, like fake leather type thing. But it's like a it's called which Alcantara. looks awful to me, but Alcantara. Apparently, a lot of car makers use it, high-end car makers. Well, I don't want to judge it, 
on photos, but from the photos, to me, it looks terrible. I, I would not want that. Uh, I wouldn't if if I had the choice when buying a laptop, whether I just have a bare aluminum surface or like no pun intended surface, or have it covered with this stuff. If without having seen it in person, I would zero hesitation. I would just say, just give me the aluminum. This seems like a disaster. Um, yeah. But I saw people excoriating Microsoft for having said, told uh, The Verge that you need to uh, uh, treat it like a like a luxury purse or something like that, or a luxury handbag. Um, and I think people took that as meaning that it's like dainty and that it's you're like you have to treat it preciously. I think that's how people reacted to this. Like the headline, uh-huh. I think Microsoft says the fabric on the Surface laptop should be cared for like a luxury handbag. Um, and I think The Verge did a disservice with that headline because it's not really that's that that's not a quote. The only quote in that headline is the word luxury. Um, here's the actual statement from Microsoft. I hate this use of the word luxury. Uh, just like anything luxury that you buy. Like that, uh, that should be luxurious or something or right. any luxury product that you buy. But it, it's still, it seems self-serving for them to describe it as luxury. But anyway, just like anything luxury that you buy, like great handbags or a pair of shoes or even expensive cars, there is a care that's needed for the device. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I think no, it has to be some care for it. But I think the thing that people aren't, maybe, maybe you and I understand it with, with our, spouses but um you can get like there are handbags that uh, that are might be you know from a luxury brand and they're not really dainty they're actually the opposite they're actually very they're they're built to last for decades you know and yep. and you know you do have to treat leather and if you get it wet you have to take care of it right away and stuff like that um but they actually hold up surprisingly well they're not dainty little faberge eggs they're actually much more rugged in some ways than than uh, typical lower cost bags. So that's, right. you know, sometimes, you, like sometimes, you buy a nice bag or some a nice pair of shoes that are luxury, but you buy them because they last way longer and hold up much better and age much more attractively than right. something that's that's lower cost. Right. Uh, there was a uh, was a weird Twitter account I was into for a while. It was it was it, one of those ones that was interesting only when it was anonymous, and then when somebody figured out who the guy was, uh, it was no fun anymore. GS Elevator, remember that? It was. Oh a, yeah, yep. It yep. was so. It was, it was written from the perspective of stuff overheard in the elevators at Goldman Sachs, uh, and it was often hilarious, often very, very rude, sort of from the that very lewd, that bro, uh, alpha male banker mentality um but i remember the guy who wrote it had like the it was like a he, he also had like articles and it was just like all right so you got a job in an investment bank here's what to you know you're a kid out of college here's what you here's the clothes that you need to buy and one of his things was that you should get like um i forget i forget if he recommended gucci or what but you know something like get like a nice pair of gucci shoes yes there's eight hundred dollars or seven hundred dollars but they will last you way longer than uh, ten pairs of two hundred dollars shoes, if you take care of them. Right. Yep. You know, there's obviously some things that are luxury priced that are not. You know, that you're just throwing, you know, like a sports car. Like if you buy a Lamborghini, you're just pissing money away. It's it's not really. It's you're not really buying it for the 
value of, I mean, the car is valuable, but it's not like you're not going to sink tens of thousands of dollars in it maintenance as you go. Like nobody buys a Lamborghini because it's worth it. It's a good investment. Reliability wise compared to a Honda. Right. <laughs> yep. Where, but there are some things like a nice shoe or a nice belt or something like that where you actually, yes, you're paying a lot of money, but it's actually might be, you might be paying five times more than what you're used to, but you're actually getting like 10 times better product. I don't think that the Surface laptop is like that though. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I went to, that's, I, I went to use that word choice. And yeah, not, now that I'm looking at that just like anything luxury, that's driving me up the wall. That's, that's terrible. They have to. They have to have tested this. I know, like last week on the show, Renee and I were joking about that the iPad or iPod that came, I think it was like an iPod Nano that was super easily scratched. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah, one? It was the original, the original Nano. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it, it almost in a, you know, I would love, it's one of those like behind the scenes things. I would love to someday get that story out of Apple as to how in the hell did they make tens of thousands of these things or half a million of these things out of a plastic that you can scratch with your fingernail. <laughs> like, what the hell were they thinking? How did that not get caught in testing? I know, because um, I mean, if you saw one, like, they, within not long, I mean, they would be just completely destroyed, like, to, to the point where you could barely even read the screen. We, uh, and the whole, it was the whole front, not just the screen, yeah. like, the entire surface would be, right. would be just completely, uh, yeah, all shredded up. Yeah, it's hard to remember compared to iPhones where everything is so much closer to the surface now. But it, with the iPods, even with the Nano, there was sort of a thick layer of screen or, or or not even screen, but just plastic on the whole front of all these models or a bunch of them. Um, I remember we got them when I was working at Joyent. Um, I forget, we hit some kind of milestone or something. And so everybody in the company got one as a gift. Um, and... It, it, in our company, uh, like chat, I forget what we even used for chat. It was Slack, obviously wasn't around, but the equivalent of Slacks, IRC. <laughs> I, it wasn't IRC though. I forget what we were using, but uh, hip 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 chat. Uh, that was a long time ago too. Yeah, I don't remember. Uh, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank on it, but we had like a company wide chat, and everybody got these, and we were like, everybody was you know having fun with their new iPod, and and it <laughs> took like an hour for people to be like, holy shit, I just <laughs> mine's all scratched up. Yep. Uh, anyway, 2005. Man, it's already been 12 years. I I can't help but think that Microsoft had to have like stress tested these things with actual sweaty palms in you know warm you know use it you know use this for a while with you know maybe have us in a warm room with somebody who sweats through their palms or something. Right? These things can't just pick up ugly palm sweat stains. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm not, not sure I, I want to admit to this, but my even my MacBook is always the keyboard, and that all ends up just totally filthy. It's pretty disgusting, actually. <laughs> I should probably clean it. Yeah, you probably should. That's gross, Ben. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, it just doesn't seem like... The more I think about it, this just doesn't seem like a good idea. Uh, I don't know. It just seems... It, too many laptops get too grungy, as is. As, as, it, as easy to clean a surface as aluminum is. I mean, it's pretty hard to think of something that's easier to clean than that. It, everyone just wants everyone just wants them to make a nice laptop. That's all they want. Just a yeah. regular like. But so they did the Surface Book thing, or first they did the Surface and the Surface Book thing, and now there's a laptop. But yeah, it has it has. It, but I mean, there's I know there's lots of politics and competing with the OEMs, all that sort of stuff. But um, but yeah, I'd rather I'd rather get a I'd rather get a ThinkPad with the nub anyway. <sighs> I. I uh... 
and nub. I, nub. I, I mean, I think it's it's so different. I don't know. Didn't they use it in the old days? It was like the nub was the only thing, right? They didn't even have a trackpad. Yep, it used to be just 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 the nub. But not, yeah, they have both now. That's almost like an Apple like devotion, like Apple's devotion to the single button mouse. You know, in a world where everybody went the other way, the, the old IBM ThinkPad's devotion to the the little red nub. Yeah, well, I mean, well, I mean if you there's lots of people that I mean, not like as, relatively speaking, not a ton, but there are you know people like it. I mean, once you is if you're used to it, it's it's one of those things where if you really like it, like why would you? Um, you're going to just keep buying ThinkPads. You're not even going to think about it. And I think part of the problem too is this, you know, touchpads have always been so terrible on Windows. Right. Um, that so terrible. That was the big reason. Yeah, those are the big reasons that I, when I, when I, when I was using, you know, when I was at Microsoft, I, I used a ThinkPad. And uh, that was the biggest reason I started using the nub in the first place, that the trackpad was atrocious. But then, you know, you use it and you actually grow to really, really like it. I mean, the, the not having to, um, I mean, you're, I'm so used to it moving. You, you don't move your hand much on on a um, on, on a computer, but uh, on, on a MacBook. Right. But just having it right there, once you're used to it, it's it's nice. Yeah, it's great. It's given them an actual like differentiation. It's it in a world you know like the big problem that PC OEMs have is that what, what's to keep you know let's say you sell somebody an HP laptop, what's to keep them from buying a different brand the next time they buy one? Nothing. Really, it's yep, and and the the little red nubbin is actually a little bit of a differentiator if they have the 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 uh, muscle memory for it. Yep, I always thought they were weird. Anyway, um, uh, what else do you want to talk about before we get to the well to to the uh, to, to to the WeChat thing? Yeah. Uh, well, I think I actually think we've. Uh, through talking about various things, have have set the stage set set the stage nicely. So, yeah. um, oh, the, 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 what, what do you think about the two new echoes? There's the uh, oh yeah, there's the camera one, and then there's the the one with the screen. Well, let's talk about that after I, I thank another one of our friends. It's our good friend, a new sponsor, first time. I I'm, I really like this company though, Pingdom P I N G D O M. It's a uh, it's a service for monitoring websites and servers. You can go to www.pingdom.com slash LP slash talk show. Pingdom.com slash LP slash talk show. And they have a nice little landing page there for uh, listeners of the show uh, addressed just to you. You get a 14-day free trial. And when you enter the code, the talk show at checkout, you get 20% off your first invoice. That's a big deal, 20%. Pingdom makes the web faster and more reliable for everyone by offering powerful, easy-to-use monitoring tools and services for anyone on the website. Um, you can do anything with these guys. It's really great. So you've got a web server. You can just point something to it, and they can like simulate uh, visits. It's not just like a ping to the server, even though that's their name, but they can actually simulate an actual visit to the website, and you can write tests to make sure certain components. And, and modern websites have so many things where you're drawing things from multiple services to to make your website, where it's, it's not just one server that can go down. There's all sorts of fail points along the way. And you can write these tests with Pingdom to test if everything that you expect to be working is working. And when it's not, they'll notify you instantly. Pingdom detects more than 13 million outages, more than 400,000 outages every day. Wow. And, you know, if you've ever noticed, stuff actually breaks on the internet all the time. Here's a way to find out if your stuff broke. 
uh, really great service uh, used by a whole bunch of big names. If you go to their website, uh, I told you, pingdom.com slash LP slash talk show, and just look at the big names that use Pingdom for monitoring their service, uh, servers and, and websites. It's amazing. So go there and check them out, and they will know you came from the show. And remember that code, the talk show, and you'll save 20% on your first invoice. My thanks to Pingdom. Great, great service. Yeah, so Amazon, uh, they have two new, what do they call them, Echo products? They both? Yeah, there's are, the Echo Look, which is the uh, just a camera. And then there's the, and you know, they're pitching it for putting in your closet or, right. or wardrobe. And then the Echo, the bigger, probably the one they made a bigger splash about was the Echo Show, which is a, has a screen, has a screen. And it says, now, now Echo can show you things, I believe is the tagline. Right, and obviously also has a camera since it does like photo, video calls. Right, which I actually think is is the the most the most interesting part of it, it, it and it really featured very heavily in the sort of uh, the, the introductory video. Yeah, I have to I have to watch that again, but it did seem like it's almost more like the bigger announcement is that they're doing their own. They don't have a name for it though, right? There's no they don't have like a name like FaceTime. Right. No, it's just it's just uh yeah, and the, it's not just the Echo Show cuz they updated the the Alexa app and so you can go between phones and the Echo Show and or or Echo Show to Echo Show. Uh I uh I don't know for sure if you can go phone to phone, but I presume you. I presume you can. Yeah, I think I, so. I, think I, I wrote about it yesterday. I wrote that. I presume you can, and I was going to look it up, and then I don't remember if I actually looked it up. Uh, right. But yeah, but it, it. But it is basically a FaceTime competitor without being called a FaceTime competitor. But right. that's certainly what it is. Well, it's because it, it. Yeah. So the 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 trick to the whole thing is that they've updated the the phone app for I guess Android and iOS. I know the iOS one's updated, where. Um, both for you to have one of these calls with somebody who doesn't own an Echo, uh, or you know, what good? Who would want to use this if you had to be in the room where your Echo is to get the call? It's like it's like you're all of a sudden you're back to like landline days where you got a quick run to the kitchen to take a phone call. Um, that that's not going to fly. But well, yeah, but I mean, I remember uh, the. I mean, the when the Echo first first came along, you know, it was in the original introductory video, which unfortunately has been taken down. Uh, but it was even it was super corny, uh, and I remember a lot of people made fun of it. But actually, I I kind of liked it because it was, and you can see the same thing in the new Echo Show video, which is it's very sort of there's no like fancy like marketing commercial stuff going on here. It's very straightforward, like showing people explicit use cases for this product and people going through those use cases. Like the dad is changing the baby's diaper and he's ordering new diapers. Like it's not subtle at all, but I kind of like that. Like it's, you're not limited to a 30 second grab. You're not trying to instill sort of, I think there's a mistake a lot of marketers in tech have traditionally made is they've, they hire these branding agencies, especially in the early days of tech, these branding agencies that were used to doing like consumer goods, consumer packaged goods. And there it's all about building sort of brand affinity because the goal is when someone's in a store and they're faced with like 15 options for crackers that they choose one or they or deodorant or whatever it might be, they choose one and they don't really know why they chose it. They just, 
they just do. And that's the payoff of all that advertising and branding and all, and all that, that sort of stuff. With, with tech products, it's much more of a deliberate choice. So to use sort of brand type marketing, I think is much inferior to just showing it, showing how it works. I mean, this is something, some of my favorite Apple ads actually were the original iPhone ads. Not the first one, like the Hello, Hello at the Academy Awards, but no, all the, the ads after that for the first year, they were just showing people using the phone. The ones and then, with and the, uh, and the, Bob Bercher, I think his name was, right? Yeah, and, and at the very end, the phone, the phone, the phone would ring. So they'd show them reading the New York Times. They'd show them, uh, you know, scrolling, playing a game, or not playing a game, but doing stuff on the phone that you could do on the phone. And then at the at the very end of the commercial, and it's the same one every time, the phone would ring. Say, oh, and it's a phone. And it was so effective, both in explaining what the iPhone is. They were also teaching people how to use it. Uh, one of some of my favorite commercials, just because I think the way they really. It was a new way of doing commercials. I think is was much better for a tech product and uh, something that I was always very frustrated by when I was at Microsoft because I thought they were so so many of their commercials were in this CPG branding mindset when you're selling a very different kind of product. Yeah, yeah. Those uh, iPhone commercials were brilliant because they were fast. I mean, they were thirty second spots, but they they showed things and they I. You know, they showed it. They showed the product. Right. But they, it was like real things. And they're like, look, you, maybe you don't believe it. Maybe you hear somebody saying, you know, you can get maps on your phone now. And, and on these iPhones, you can get a, a usable map. But they'd show it. They'd say, here, look, type Starbucks and hit a one button. Very easy. It just says, you know, like search or whatever. And then a map shows up showing how far you are from Starbucks or whatever the example was in the commercial. Yep, yep, exactly. Yeah, the map one was was was, was a big one. And that was and it, it was so immediately became apparent what the value was to people, right? Right. Yeah. And yeah, then, the, this sorry, is something you can it's this is something you can understand. Like Apple understood that <laughs> it sounds funny, but it's the thing that I think a lot of tech people even tech marketers overlook is that you tell a lot of people, okay, you've got a cell phone. We know that. We know you're frustrated by it. We know that you probably can't figure out how to do anything on it other than make the phone calls. Um, we're trying to sell you a phone that does uh, uh, browses the web, gets your email, um, has maps, lets you watch YouTube videos. But trust us, none of this is more complicated, and making phone calls is even easier than it was on your old phone. Yep. Yeah, it's exactly right. And so, I mean, these 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 Amazon Echo. Uh, Spots are not like that. They're not, and they're not near, nearly as you know highly produced, and they're they're still pretty corny. But if you're showing a product, a two hundred dollar product, and in the original Echo, I think it was the same. I think it was ninety nine dollars for Prime members. But people are on your you're on the web. You have infinite space. You can show as short or long a video as you want. You're not limited to thirty seconds, and people are being deliberate about their choice. Why not take advantage of that and actually show how this product might be useful and and I think that's something they've done pretty consistently with these, and and I think I think it's smart. I think it's a much better way to think about, you know, marketing your product because you're marketing a different kind of product in a different context, uh, particularly for Amazon because it's you know it's it's on their they have a big website that they can use. Yeah, I know that the uh, I'm going to get the name wrong. I can't remember these right because there's weird like the Echo Show and Echo Look, but it's like to me Echo it, Dot is the little one. Well, Echo Show is is the one with the TV set, and right. Echo Look is the one that's like for your dressing room, right? Um, but 
you could call it like it, it's one of those things where eh, all right, Echo Look is the one that is a camera, and you you show it, you get dressed, and you get like a selfie, and you can get like some kind of analysis as to whether your shoes match your belt or whatever. Um, but it just the name Echo Look, it could also mean the thing that you look at, the thing with yeah. the screen, right? And Echo Show, which is the one with the screen, that could be the name of the one that's the camera. Like, here, Echo, let me show you what I'm wearing, right? Like, yeah, I, I would have called the other one, like, just this is just called Echo Camera. Like, I think so too, because then it's, it's clear. It's, that's what right. it is, right? And right. I think the, uh, the whole like gives you tips on what you wear, I, I, I I, I always feel like they put that in for the tech geeks. Like, I mean, the, the reality is, is like this whole, like taking pictures of your outfit is a huge thing, like a massive thing. And people do do it every day. And they mostly do it by holding out their arm and taking a selfie or staying in front of a mirror and snapping a picture. Like, uh, like it's a, it's it, it, like, it's, it's a massive, massive, massive thing. So I, and I think that's clearly what this product is focused on that that's mm-hmm. the point of it. And <laughs> I mean, maybe in the long run, it will be useful to like do the, uh, the, the, the sort of AI stuff, but I almost feel like that was like throwing a bone to to all the techies saying like, oh, and there's this thing to it. In re- it's a selfie camera, like that's right. what it is, and it's and that's not to belittle it because that is right. a massive market, and right. and it's a massive market that's really interesting. I mean, there's lots of stuff about like retail and retail changing, and one of the big drivers of this is social media. And on social media, it used to be back in the day like what drove fashion was it was all a status thing, right? You want to go and you go to the mall and you buy the the high status items and then you would wear them to, to school or whatever. Now it's much more about standing out, popping on on social media, and variety <laughs> and having something right. interesting and different is much more important. <laughs> and I think. Um, <laughs> And this is playing into that. I laugh because you said you wear it to school or whatever, and you're. I know exactly why you said that, and I think I even know why you hesitated after saying it. Is I think you had the same thought that I had did as you said it. Is you're talking from the perspective of me and you, two guys in our forties, you know, because know. <laughs> when when retail was the only way to buy clothes, that's when you and I were in school. I know, and and by the time we got out of school, that was when the internet was a thing, and I had the same thought. It's like, well, yeah, back in the days. Back in the days when you used to have to buy all your clothes at the mall, you'd wear them to school. Everybody wore them to school. But of course, right. there were <laughs> generations of adults ahead of us who wore them to other places. Yeah, but um, it's, it is funny. Like, it's always hard to, um, or it, you have to be like super, you're right, because the, the hesitation was the snap of self awareness. Like, I'm probably over personalizing this experience. But, but I, you do see this, uh, you know, this sort of like, traditional brands that dominated sort of malls and you know they're all struggling you know mightily and you you see other things like there's this uh other websites and services that are much more inexpensive and it's much more about having something unique and and different uh as opposed to having the same branded you know t-shirt as everybody else i saw a thing that uh, i think the new york times just had a story that the j crew is in financial distress um i think gap is too there's a company you know companies that were like abercrombie and fitch like all of them all all of them are struggling right and you thought uh, well abercrombie and fitch was always a, a little bit more niche you know because they had the you know it smells weird and it purposefully made an unwelcoming front to, it's actually kind of an interesting retail strategy where they they kind of made the front of their stores sort of hard to get into like i said yeah. having a big wide opening they would just have a door and it was sort of you know um 
like they wanted, you know, it's totally contrary to most retailers, but it was sort of like they only wanted the right people to come in, you know, young people who were shopping for Abercrombie Cole clothes. But anyway, uh, the gap to me is more of the universal, my God, everybody can go in the gap and find something that, that they would consider wearing. Um, it's weird that they're having financial, not weird, but it's just, it's, it's uh, obviously like a foundation of American retail is crumbling. If, if stores like that aren't doing well, here's a question for you. Do you still, do you, do you, do you ever like when you need, like you feel like you need like some new shirts, do you go out and buy shirts in a retail store or do you buy everything online? Uh, I, I usually every summer I go and just buy a ton of stuff. Uh, actually we always, it's, it's a thing because my brother lives in Minneapolis. And so we always go there and see my brother. And then one day we go to the mall of America and there's no sales tax on clothing there and everything's there. And we just like spend one day buying, or at least I do try to buy all the clothes I need for the entire year. Um, would I do need things otherwise? Yeah. I go to department stores here. I don't, I don't buy, I don't buy online. Um, but I mean, everything online here is mostly in Chinese and whatnot, and it's obviously a little more difficult. But my wife buys a ton of stuff online. She buys stuff online all the time. My wife buys everything online, every, almost everything. I, I don't, I, I can't even recall the last time she went out shopping for clothes. She just buys everything online. And unlike me, she's not afraid to send stuff back. Um, like that's my problem. I, I don't, I hate, I just don't like packing stuff up to send back. Yep. I, it's irrational. It's completely irrational. Uh, and it's not like I've amassed all these, like a big pile of clothes that I don't like, or that don't fit that I just suck the, you know, just eat the cost of it because I don't send it. But it's why I don't buy stuff like shirts. Uh, like if I was going to buy like a dress shirt, I don't buy it online unless I I know if I know that there's like a, a shirt from, uh, banana Republic that I already have one and I know the exact size. And I can judge from the picture exactly what this one looks like. I would buy that online, but that's because I've actually tried it on. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the same. I'm the same way. I, I just that sort of like yes, it's a hassle to get in the car and like go to the store or however you get you get to the store. But for me, that that sort of hassle doesn't register. Whereas having a bunch of boxes and having to pack stuff up and yeah. put it out and. Oh, that's just like sounds like absolute torture to me. Even if you know, even if you were to actually go through and add up the number of minutes that it takes, it's less. Hmm. the The feeling of it is 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 much worse. So I'm yeah. completely with you. But for stuff like uh, like underwear and socks and stuff like that, I, I don't think I've bought anything like that in a retail store in ten years. I mean, why would yeah. you? You know, it's crazy. If you like, you feel like you need some new underwear. Boom! Just click a couple buttons I, and it's at your house. The Amazon apparel thing is is very interesting because they're they've not announced any numbers about it, but there's sort of hints that the, it's actually doing much better than you think, and they're growing really rapidly. Uh, I suspect a lot of it, you know, is probably things like you you just said, um, you know, basics and and whatnot. But they're making for at a minimum, they're for sure making massive investments in it, like just huge, uh, not just the Amazon look, although I think that is. Uh, interesting in that regard, but they have all kinds of interesting projects going on. They've launched multiple brands, uh, you know that you know that <laughs> their brands uh, for well, different they, sort of categories. They um, own they own Zappos. Yeah, but this is this is all in Amazon itself. Like I think it's not it's not the Zappos thing was. I think they bought them because they were doing well and they were an e-commerce site, and so they wanted to bet they wanted to take them out. I mean, they just closed down 
or they're on the verge of closing down. What's the other one they bought? Oh, diapers, diapers.com. Yeah. Uh, same thing. Uh, they, you know, I think in the long run, I would, I'd be surprised if Zappos remains ongoing concern, but I mean, people like it, people go there. So maybe they'll keep, they'll, they'll keep it around. But the long run for sure is, is all Amazon. I mean, they want, because, and this is the other thing. Oh, this is the topic we should talk about. I, I haven't written about this yet, but um, the a- Amazon Prime video being on Apple TV. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, uh, yeah, I'm making a note. We'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, well, because I think Amazon is really trying to own every aspect of, you know, they, they want to be the facilitator of basically everything in your life, particularly everything in the home. And this is what makes the whole Echo line so brilliant for Amazon. It's, I mean, the opportunity, the reason the opportunity is there is because the home is the one place you don't necessarily have your phone with you, right? If you're out and about, you always have your phone with you. Mm-hmm. If you're at phone, if you're at home, it's plugged in and charging. Uh, and whereas, and the other thing is, if you're out and about to just suddenly talk at random, it's getting perhaps more and more socially acceptable, but still a little weird. Whereas at home, to kind of shout at shout at an echo is is totally fine. Like there's nothing like it's your house. You can you can do what you want. But also, it, it fits with the sort of long term Amazon model of basically being the infrastructure for your for your home. It's how the things in your home get there. It's how you resupply. It's how you do everything. And so that's the focus on clothes and Echo and all sort of stuff fits into that. And having a uh having another brand that's not Amazon, I think, doesn't fit into that in the long run. Especially with Prime, because they want to be it's all Amazon, it's all Prime. Uh and so I I, 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 we'll see how long Zappos is for this world, but it's I doubt it'll be a focus of their sort of apparel efforts. Oh, I, very I think Zappos answer. is doing well. I just maybe it's just continues to run as a sort of uh, independent. You know, I think you could easily be a well, maybe not. Maybe they make you sign in with Amazon. I don't know, but I thought I was going to say that I think you can shop at Zappos and not even know that they're a subsidiary. But yeah, I, but. I think they're doing but well. Right, and I think and that that's fine for Amazon. I mean, as long as it's not someone else, uh, as long as they own it. Here's the thing that it doesn't surprise me, but it 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 it, it still I still found it striking was how much of the reaction to the Amazon or the Echo Look, the one that's a camera for you getting dressed, was a sort of knee jerk. You think I'm putting a a camera connected to the cloud in my dressing room? You got to be kidding me. Um, like a sort of knee jerk. I am not putting a computerized camera that you know uploads pictures to the web. I don't, you know, that you don't trust it or whatever. Uh, and I understand it, and it, you know, it certainly is. A, it's a reasonable concern that you'd want it to be private, and you'd want it to come from a company that you trust. And you know, it, it, common sense that you'd think, you know, at least think twice before you bought it and installed it. Um, but I think it's almost silly to take the point that you don't think that we're going to have cameras all over our houses soon. Like it's clearly that's where it's the only way to go. Yeah. And the other thing too is, I mean, is, is a, is a camera really much worse than the echo itself? I mean, the, the entire category is very, yeah, but that's how people reacted from, to that a couple of years ago. They right? did, they it did. just dies down. It, 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 and it, I, I'm not, Saying that we should, I think, you know, I think anybody who knows me at all through the show or Daring Fireball would would guess that I'm, it's not like I rush headlong into new things without thinking about them. You know, in some ways I'm a lowercase c conservative, a lot of, you know, and and I don't, 
you know, I find out what I like and then I stick with it. Um, so I'm not drawn to new and shiny all the time, but I feel like everybody's a little bit too, in some ways, it's good that there's a lot of people who are, whose first concern is privacy as opposed to thinking about the cool things you could do with something like this. But I'm reminded of, um, God, it must probably like 99 or something like that, but way back, you know, around the, the, the millennium when like Mac apps indie indie Mac apps first started adding features where they would, uh, phone home and just say like, you couldn't even upgrade it. What like sparkle the technology where you can hit a button and have, you know, you're using version 3.1 version 3.2 is out. Would you like to upgrade? And you just hit a button and it downloads and upgrades and quits and relaunches. And there you go. You're running the new one. But there were apps that would just, just put a dialogue up and say, Hey, there's a new version. Do you want to go to the website and download it? And people freaked the fuck out because they were like, what the hell are you, you know, and, and, you know, sniffing the network traffic and, you know, and, and, and it's not like they were revealing anything, but the fact that the app was phoning home with anything, even just to check the version was too much for people. And there were people who would be like, I'm, you know, and they meant it. I'm deleting this app. I'm switching to a competitor because I, there's no way that any software of mine is going to phone home to the developer server, even if it's just to check the version. <laughs> and I, I, I don't want to make fun of it too bad, but I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> there's, is there an app that you use today that doesn't, doesn't notify you when there's a new version? And I feel like yeah. it's, we're going that way with microphones and cameras. We are. There's, I think there's, there's two sort of points to make. One is your broader point and this is the most important point, is this is sort of inevitable. Like, we're going down this direction. And the fact of the matter is that most people just don't care. And and this applies to their online privacy. It, it applies to... And this is the big problem with, with you know, sort of fighting for, for privacy when it comes to technology products is that, uh, unfortunately, people don't care. And maybe at some point there will be some scandal that's so bad and so big that it will actually become something that people care about. But to date, there's no evidence that that's going to happen. I mean, people value convenience. They just they just do. And and related to that, though, that it it actually is really concerning. Like the whole echo thing. Like I have I have echoes all over my house, but the actual like. It's not really clear. I mean, Amazon says that that they're that they're secure and all this sort of stuff, but there's no really recourse for people if they were used badly. Like it really is just kind of trusting this massive corporation is going to do the right thing. And uh, and yeah, you, and you, obviously people can and will track their network and make sure that it's only sending when the, you know when Alexa's triggered or whatever it might be and but then once it gets on the servers you don't really know what's happening to it it really is a massive massive problem unfortunately it's a problem that absent some sort of like popular will it's hard to see anything being done about it right once you once you're uh yo dingus you know turn out turn out the lights in the kitchen command goes there you have no idea where that audio goes and how long it lasts and what they do with it. It's a, it is a black box. So I'm not discounting the privacy concerns, but I, I think, and it's just like, it's such a small example, but just like how apps that can run a version check and notify you of a new version, it, it, it is a trade-off of privacy where, you know, there is some information of yours that is going to the developer and they can, you know, 
maybe, you know, a lot of times send other things too, like what model Macintosh you're on and how much RAM you have or something like that. You are trading some privacy by allowing the software to do it. But in return, you're getting something of such convenience. It is so yeah. much that the, the days when you used to have to manually, you know, like follow, you know, there used to be a website like Mac Update where you'd like part of my morning was go to Mac Update and, and uh, what was the other one? Virgin, Virgin Tracker. You'd go to Version Tracker and just see if any of the software I use has a new version out. And if so, go go and update it. Yep. Uh, I mean, that was actually part of my like daily routine. Uh, it seems like madness at this point. And you know, there's so much of the convenience of these um, uh, AI assistants, that, and we're just just touching our toes in it. Like I don't know. I, I the more I think about it, and I know I, I've been talking about it a lot more on the show. Like if I were to go to a company like Apple or Microsoft or something or any or Google, like what what would I want to be working on? I mean, until now, un, almost unquestionably, what I would want to be working on is u- visual user inter- interface stuff for the GUI. Um, I think if I were there now, I think uh, the AI stuff would be what I would want to work on because I feel like there's so much potential there. One thing that's interesting about the Echo and with the Echo Show is I think it's in some respects it was good for Amazon to launch with just the speaker because it sort of it, it was like the original Mac launching without arrow keys. So you like you mm-hmm. had to use the mouse and like the foundation of it being a voice interface was is baked in very very deeply. And so now the show comes out and it has a screen, but there's there's it's not a touch screen. It's still all voice controlled. But it's weird because if it came out originally, we say, "Wow, there's a screen. It's not a touch screen. This is so weird." And people like wouldn't really get how to interact with it. Now it's like, "Oh wow, it's so much so convenient. It's it's you it's an Echo with a screen. Like the whole framing and the way you think about the product is actually totally different because they it was a more sort of limited product to start out with. I did not realize it was not a touchscreen. I find that shocking. It's not a touchscreen? Uh, no. Wow, that's shocking to me. I, I find that crazy. I think that's a huge mistake. I think there's all oh, sorts wait. of things that you'd want to do that you'd want to be able to touch to confirm or something like that. Wait, or, uh, yeah, no, that's, I'm, I'm totally wrong. It is a touchscreen. Oh, jeez. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I thought maybe uh, someone at Amazon had a stroke or something. Yeah, no, uh, uh, that's funny. I, I don't know... I knew it was a touchscreen, and it got, something got stuck in my head that was not a touchscreen. The 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 point I was <laughs> meaning to make, tell Cable to or tell Cable to, to <laughs> no do way, it. man, we're leaving it. Uh, in. <laughs> the point I was trying to make though is the the primary means of interacting with it is is voice. Right. Had it been a touchscreen to start out with, that's what I'm trying to say. Right. It would have it would have been much more limited than it is because every you know yeah. developers all the skills would have all been biased towards touch. Now they're all biased towards voice, and you can yep. add on touch. Yep. Uh, I, that was weird. I just completely hallucinated for like five minutes there. I just wrote about it yesterday. I wrote about it being a touch screen. <laughs> I, see, I do see your point, though. I see your point, though, that it is it is voice first, and it matters what's first. You know That the Mac being mouse first influenced the design of the GUI in a way that if you could have treated it as keyboard first, it, that's how the software would have been written because that's how all the other software and all the other platforms was written. Right, exactly, exactly. You know, <laughs> that you was so use, weird. You could use an original Macintosh, like if you had two of the original Macintosh side by side and one of them only had the mouse hooked up and the other one only had the keyboard hooked up, you could get more done on the one that had the mouse hooked up. And there might have been things that you couldn't even do on the keyboard one. Yeah, you couldn't even get to the... 
menu bar, the only thing you could do in the menu bar was have the keyboard shortcuts memorized. Right. And I mean, in the long run, they, they brought them back and it's better, it's better to have all, you know, the arrow keys there and, right. and whatnot. But, but yeah, as far as like getting the paradigm watch and, and, you know, if had it been a touchscreen to start, it would have, you know, it, that's just kind of like, it, it was just a phone, but worse because it's locked in one, one spot and the, to really drive home that it is a voice interface. Uh, yeah, I think they're better off starting there. Um, but that said, the, you know, the other thing, though, with the screen is I think this this calling thing, we mentioned, we talked more with, with the phone and stuff like that, but I think there really is value to uh, being able to just initiate a conversation. And probably the most interesting thing here, and here Amazon totally sort of uh, ripped off one of their one of their companies. Like they, had, they have a venture fund for like companies that... And they have Alexa built in. And there's a company that built a voice communication device that has Echo built in, and it's basically Amazon just completely Sherlocked them, uh, which is bad enough when it's software, and it's probably far more painful when it's hardware. But once you have trusted people, you can drop in, which basically means you can initiate a call without their having to go to like actually answer it or do whatever. You could it'd just be like sort of instant sort of thing. Now that sounds terrible in a lot of situations, but for me, I'm in a different, a separate office from uh, down the street from from the house to be able to just like turn on, be able to literally drop in. It's someone if I was working from home to have someone be able to you know come in the stop of the door stick their head in. It's the same sort of idea. Obviously, you're not going to use it all the time, but the possibility, I think, is is compelling and interesting and fundamentally different from FaceTime, fundamentally different from having to get your phone and pull it out. Uh, for the kids to call, you know, grandma, like something like this is really, is more convenient than than having to use FaceTime. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I forget what, it was in the context of one of these things where I was like, you know, just how crude all of these things, whether whatever your favorite is, you know, the Alexa platform or Siri or Google or whatever, it's so early days on all of them that we'll, we will look back and, you know, this is like to the, you know, personal computer, like what the Apple II was in 1981. You know, it's, we're just at the tip of the iceberg, but that you can see where we're going. And I wrote that I, you know, really what I want is I want like a C3PO. But I thought about it a couple of days later. I realized I was totally wrong. That that's too much because the that that's a having the actual like robot who can walk around is an entirely different set of problems. For these AI assistants, what I want is Hal from two thousand one, mm-hmm. and I, I wrote that. And I feel like every time you bring up Hal, everybody just goes immediately to yeah, but he you know killed a bunch of astronauts and tried to kill the other you know tried to kill the last one too and had to be. <laughs> How to be put right. down? All right, put aside the fact that he killed people, <laughs> and he, but he did kill people for a very logical reason. You know, that's I don't want to spoil the movie, but it's you know, and uh, but if you it, just if you haven't watched 2001, you need to go watch 2001. But if you just if you think about the stuff that Hal does in the movie and how the astronauts interact with him, it's exactly where we're going. Every it, it is exactly the it is it, it, it they're. they're could not be a better everybody is racing towards how where it's not just a voice and a speaker where you can ask how you know what's what's the square root of 256 or something like that and get an answer it's that it, it's the home automation integration where you can say things like tell your dingus to 
you know, close all the blinds. If you have blinds that are hooked up to the smart house or something like that, or change the color of your lights or something like that. Like that's how they ran the spaceship is they would tell how to, you know, open the pod bay doors or something like that. Like that's exactly where we're going with all these things. And it's, you know, and you watch and one of the things that, you know, Kubrick got so well in that movie is that they're, you know, from the perspective of somebody watching it in 1968, it was like whiz bang futuristic stuff. Like, wow, you can tell how to open the door and the door opens, but the astronauts acted like it was the most normal thing in the world because they were used to it. Right. Um, anyway, I think everybody needs to watch Hal and realize that that's exactly where we're going. And the other thing too about Hal was that, uh, and it would have been so easy, uh, from 1968's perspective to imagine how as a big refrigerator computing device that's located in like the, the bridge of the spaceship and to think of, you know, cause that's what computers were, but how was everywhere, right? There were just little, little red cameras all around the ship. He was a system that was running throughout the whole ship. Right. And that's exactly was, the model of like, I mean, the Amazon to a T where you, you, you sprinkle these dots throughout your house so that, you know, if you're upstairs or downstairs, you can access the exact same system. The other, the other, I completely agree. Uh, I think it, it is a, a great example of, of the, what, what everyone is going for. The other point I would make, I was just thinking about this in terms of FaceTime is Google launched a FaceTime competitor. I can't remember what it's called. Um, Allo? Was it Allo? No, Allo's the chat app. Yeah, weirdly, they launched two apps separately. <laughs> Google Duo. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and the problem the problem with that is it's a separate app. You have to go download it, etc. And it's work beyond you know, like FaceTime is built in. Now, obviously, the advantage is you can theoretically go cross platform. Uh, then you're competing against Skype, though, which which has similar capability. And it's just it's just a hard. It's it. The, Google's problem is always sort of the go to market. Like how do they actually get their yeah. products and technology into people's hands? Uh, and you know, obviously, Android is one way to do that. But th- then you have the the, the the you have the cross. You have to get people on iPhones to download it. It's anyhow. It's, it's hard. My impression What's, of Google from the outside and Allo, the Allo Duo thing is a perfect example of it. Is that their their company culture is so resistant to like product people that you know, like in and of itself, there's nothing unproduct like about Allo or Duo. But there's clearly no overarching strategy connecting the two, or otherwise they wouldn't exist as separate products. But there's nobody. I don't feel there's anybody in a position of authority to sort of crack that whip and and guide it it's you know it's just a thousand individual cats wandering around mountain view doing whatever the hell they want <laughs> um yeah i i don't know it, it, it is it is it doesn't certainly does not seem ideal but the difference here with the with alexa and this voice calling is because of th- this show device like there is actually a reason to download the app and to use it because mm. there is capability that is like it, it's it's not just a ripoff it's actually doing something new and unique that is worth going to the trouble of downloading the app for mm. and so it's actually i would argue much more of a threat in the long run to facetime than google or skype or whatever even though those have the advantage of being cross-platform uh lo is not only cross-platform but also has this third dimension that makes you want to 
want, want to use it. Hmm. Yeah, I can sort of see that. Um, I, I wonder how many people use Allo. I never really hear about it anymore. It seems like one of those things that, you know, like, is anybody using it? Well, it, I mean, this is a, it's created for Google's benefit because they and felt like they needed a chat app. Right. Yeah, it, like there's there's no market need for it. Like right. there are plenty of chat apps and this is the, and you can't, the, they added some features. Like you can't just tack on some features. Like you have to, you have to create a fun, like the Echo Show creates a fundamentally new use case for video calling because it's like this omnipresent object in a specific location, like in a in a place where it actually makes sense. Yes, it's kind of a landline, blah blah blah. But you know, you can't when you're wandering around your house, you have your phone with you to be able to just shout out, call whoever, yeah. and you can call other Echoes. You can. And it's not just a show, so you can call from Echo to phone. Like there's, it's it's a fundamentally new use case. Whereas these Google products had some new features, but the actual use case was well served by plenty of other apps that were there early. And it's even more difficult because it's a network. Products and the single most important feature, the single most important feature of any chat app is do your friends and family use it? Yeah. Like nothing else matters beyond that. Yep. Because it's it's like the old argument about, you know, who, who bought the first fax machine? Right. right. So where, who, who the hell are you getting faxes from? You just bought the first one. But all of a sudden, if one guy across town buys the second one, all of a sudden you've got something that's valuable. I mean, it has more value right. than it did when you. Yours was the only fax machine on the on the phone network, and this is why. Well, well, one thing that was really interesting was when the whole messaging app like revolution went on. It was very brief. It was like two or three years, and what happened was it was really one sort of country by country, and in countries would basically settle on one service, and that was it, and it was over. Like the fight was the it was done. There was no more. There was no more of a fight to be had, and you had companies like WeChat and Line spending all kinds of money trying to break into other countries. But once you're already established, absent absent some massive leap in functionality, like the reason why messaging you know was such a big deal is that in nearly every country in the world, except for the U.S., you have to pay for SMS. And I think this is why the I still this is why the U.S. thing is more fragmented and is much further much more behind as opposed to like message app penetration. I mean, and why iMessage is probably the strongest, the strongest network because it's piggyback on SMS, but it's different. It was different in almost every other country in the world where not having to pay is a really powerful way to drive adoption. Right. Right. Uh, But once that was done, once everyone is already using a chat app that lets them chat for free to get them to switch and not just switch one person because you have to switch everyone simultaneously at the same time is basically is all you know it's right. extremely difficult right the, the the lack of foresight that the carriers had by trying to milk the sms revenue at the expense of well if we just give everybody free at the very least they're they're attached to their phone right then their phone right. number and we've got we've got like a at least got a sticky platform like in the way that iMessage has been very very good to Apple, even though they've never once charged. Oh, it's, to it's send. one of Apple's. Yep. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of Apple's. I, I, I've probably complained this on the talk show before. For sure, I've complained about it on exponents. But people often ask, like, or I get emails whenever I write about 
messaging messaging apps. And people are like, you know, oh, Apple. Why isn't iMessage in the stock price? You know, we uh, Tencent is worth X amount. Facebook's worth X amount. Facebook, Apple's stock should be higher because they have this this they have iMessage. And I'm like, no, iMessage is absolutely accounted for. It's accounted for in the phone. Like it is a reason why Apple can maintain charge such high margins on the phone, can maintain its share, can be so dominant. And iMessage is, it's not the, the reason, but it is a significant reason why people on iPhones continue to buy iPhones. And so it, it's super valuable and it is accounted for. It's just embedded in the iPhone. Yeah. I do think it might be discounted in some ways, but it's different than the independent messaging platforms like well, it, no, it may, yeah but if you broke it out if iMessage was actually available on android and and well i guess that's the only one that matters yes maybe the iMessage category or whatever division would be worth a lot but the iphone i, I think the cost right. that would be borne by the iphone would actually be even greater than that right right that's I mean, why when there was that rumor last year that apple was going to ship uh I, I, you know, I message for Android. I, I do believe. In fact, I, 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 I heard from people that there absolutely, positively were mocks that were floated within Apple. But that doesn't mean that there was ever any serious intention to do it. It's almost more like, well, why wouldn't there be? Why wouldn't they at least, you know, sketch out how it would work, whether they have any intention of doing it or not? But it just seemed to me so unlikely, because it seemed to me like. Whatever they would get from it, they would lose in the stickiness that iMessage gives to the phone in terms of yeah. any kind of temptation you have. If you have tons and tons of blue bubbles in your text with your friends and family, any temptation you might have to switch to an Android phone, when it dawns on you that you lose all those iMessages and everything goes green, it's like, maybe not. Right. And that's why they, and that that's a motivation for making iMessages more and more have more and more features and and things like that. I mean, I think they've done a pretty poor job of it, but the motivation is to differentiate it from SMS even further so that, yeah, to switch something else doesn't, you know, feels like a terrible idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of, I don't like using Android in part. I'm not used to it, but there's there's little things that I don't like um, that that kind of drive up the wall. But without question, the um, but I still I mean I have a Pixel now. Uh, I've used Android phones occasionally, but iMessage is without question the most straight up frustrating aspect of using a Android phone for any any period of time. I mean, like there's little stuff, but I can, you know, little stuff, whatever you can get, you can get used to, you can get over it. Uh, you, you can't really get past there not being iMessage. Right. But it's interesting to think of iMessage as a wholly owned proprietary to iOS and Mac OS to a lesser degree, um, messaging platform that Apple owns. And think about this. Now, tell me if you think this is an interesting hypothetical, but what if, uh, when Instagram was on the market, uh, what if Apple had bought Instagram instead of Facebook and kept it iOS only? Is that interesting yeah. to think of? I, I think <sighs> it kind of is. Like in a way that people use, you know, that it, it, that the blue bubbles are seen as having more status than green bubbles. Like imagine if there were tens of millions of people sharing photos on Instagram, you know, and you the only way you couldn't even look at it unless you had an iPhone. It's it is really interesting. I mean, because your it's value destructive uh, 
you know, according to like theoretically, it's value destructive to buy a a sort of like horizontal service and limit it to where platform in the context of the service itself. So, like Instagram is worth what you know, however. A, a huge amount of money, vastly more than than, than Facebook paid for it. Um, they paid fifty one million dollars. I don't know. Whatever they paid yeah. one billion, but I would I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to sell it now. I would. I mean, I would think like fifty billion. I don't know. I mean, it's almost yeah. it's worth so much that it's almost you know you you, you have to. You, you, it's like who, whatever somebody would be willing to pay for it. It's kind of hard right. to write the value on it. And and they'd be paying. They'd be willing to pay a lot. Uh, but so it would not be worth that. By itself, but to your point, by the time Android came out, and which was like three days before Facebook bought it, uh, the momentum and sort of place that Instagram had in sort of like popular culture, even with only having however many users it had, it was it was it was a thing. It was very much a thing. Just being on iOS, and yeah, I, would it still be a thing? I think that's sort of the longer run question. Like, would it be able to maintain that, or would? a cross-platform service really, you know, whether, I mean, Snapchat would probably be in much better shape today if, if Apple had done that. Uh, being a, something that's more broadly accessible and um, it's, it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting point. I, uh, well, clearly Facebook would have, would have, if Apple had bought Instagram, Facebook would have done their best. If we see what they do with like Snapchat, they would have, tried seven different ways to copy Instagram, you know, whether it was with a, their own new app or whether putting it in your regular Facebook feed, you know, just like the, they've copied Snapchat's stories gimmick like seven different ways. So maybe it would have been Facebook somehow would have done it. But I still think there's something interesting there. And the idea would be that it, would, it wouldn't necessarily, like Instagram itself as an Apple subsidiary wouldn't be worth anywhere near what Instagram is worth today as a Facebook subsidiary with all the, so many more users. Um, but it might right, have, but would the iPhone be worth that much right, more? The iPhone might be worth more because people would be terrified of getting a different phone because they wouldn't be able to share their stuff to Instagram anymore. And they've got 4,000 followers or whatever on Instagram. And the only way they can keep that going is if they keep buying iPhones. Yeah, And it, I can't it, help but think that that was – I have never heard this from anybody. So this is just complete speculation on my part. No, not single birdie has ever said anything to me. But I thought it was so conspicuous. I thought it right at the time that Instagram for Android shipped coincident with their acquisition from Facebook. Like it was only after the Facebook acquisition was made official. I forget if like the, all the I's were dotted. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was like the same week. Yeah. Right. You know, I, I cannot help but think that Apple might have at least been at the table. And, you know, the fact, you know, it would be a lot easier to never have had an Android version than to sell to Apple. Right, exactly, and exactly. Cancel the Android version. And I think the only part of it that was even interesting to Apple was that it was iOS exclusive. Yep. And famously, without, without question, yeah. Instagram as it is today is not valuable. Is wouldn't no is not available to Apple and you're and right that's you're the not funny thing cutting Apple, it off right that's the funny thing is that Instagram is more valuable today but it wouldn't be more valuable to Apple it was only valuable to Apple as an iOS exclusive and it emphasized their product marketing that the camera is better on the iPhone uh, that you know it, it it kind of fit in yeah and you know I, I Schiller, think Schiller deleted his Instagram account right after the the, the Android version <laughs> they, came out. The more you mentioned it, yeah, I think they they probably should have done it. Uh, again, Instagram would not be worth what it is today 
as a part of Apple, and it's very possible, to your point, another network will come along and, and supplant it. But would it be worth more than $1 billion of value to the iPhone franchise? Without right. question. I, 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 you don't have to sell that many marginal iPhones to, to make up a billion dollars. I mean, it, right. and yeah, it, it's, it, it's, it's a really interesting point. And even now today, I mean, I forget what year that was when that happened, but even now today, it's, it, it plays even more into the camera f- emphasis of Apple's iPhone product marketing. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, I, I agree. I agree. It's a miss. I mean, the, the, the real the real shame is that Instagram sold it all. I mean, the I feel like things would be so much healthier if I mean, Instagram is really the purchase that cemented Facebook's dominance. Yep, because it's it's Instagram that that is it's different enough from Facebook in a way that it really uh, the market need market niche that it's filling is uh, is. Is really it was really a, a big a big hole for Facebook and um, it, it'd be nice if it was an independent company. It's you know yeah it, it's it a terrific compliment to Facebook and it's a better Twitter than Twitter in some ways or at least a Twitter yeah. it's a Twitter that knows and I love Twitter I do love Twitter and and Instagram is of course completely pointless and useless for something like news like as we speak today twenty four hours ago we just found out that uh, tr- Trump <laughs> fired the. Head of the FBI. Right. It was, a, uh, I, I'm sure, I don't know if what you did if you were up, maybe you were sleeping at the time, but as soon as you found out about it, I bet you went to Twitter, right? Right. I mean, you know, politics over the side. When I found out that Trump fired the head of the FBI who's investigating his own campaign's ties to Russia, I went to Twitter to see, you know, what were the news articles that were coming out? What were people who I, whose opinion I value on such subjects? Instagram has nothing to do with something like that. You don't go to Instagram for breaking news. But the problem that Twitter has- But that's part, that's, that's part of Instagram's right, value. Right, right, right. And that's part why people, uh, you know, it, 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 but it's Twitter-like in that it's the same basic model that Twitter pioneered, which is you- you, it's very simple. It's it's brilliant. It seems so obvious, but nobody did it before Twitter, which is you have a feed of the things you post and you pick people whose feeds you want to see. And then when you look at the app, you see all of the posts from the people who you've chosen to follow you know, in one stream and you scroll down. And then when you get bored or you hit one that you've already seen before, you stop. Um it's like they took that basic model and made something that was very self-assured and knew exactly what it was for and what people would do with it. Like people don't look at Instagram and say, I don't know what to do with this. Like they, like a lot of normal people do when they see Twitter, they're like, I, I don't know what I'm looking at. Right. And the, and photos are, are such a, and this is something that Facebook knew when they, you know, when they bought Instagram. I mean, Facebook was built on photos, photo sharing, but to take, to be, break that down just to a stream of individual photos. And not only that, is it super understandable and super approachable and something people like, but it lends itself very obviously and easily to advertising. And in a way that Twitter, you know, it's advertising on Twitter is, is hard. Like, yes, you can have the promoted tweet thing, but it's so like you're scrolling past it so quickly and it's hard to really sort of get immersed in it. And this part of, you know, Twitter tried to add more media in part because it it makes a better canvas for advertising, but just the way you use Twitter is not really amenable to it. And Twitter's had zero luck getting any sort of direct response where you see something and you take an action. That's just not how people 
think and operate when they're on Twitter. Whereas Instagram, you know, you've had it, there is success because you people like put products, like people yeah. follow brands on Instagram because they, yeah. they they like looking at products, and sometimes they look at a product and they want to buy the product, and yeah. and now they're making that possible. No, I've seen product, uh, I, you know, um, just watch stuff. I follow a lot of watch accounts on Instagram, like, and for obvious reasons. Um, the watch stuff is way, to me at least, it's way more interesting on Instagram than it is on Twitter because it's all visual. Right. It's like, hey, you're, you know, take a look at this picture of a watch. It's if you're inter- interested in watches, that's you know interesting. Whereas here's some text about a watch is not really interesting. Right. Um, but yeah, there's product shots that have you know thousands and thousands of likes. It's you know thousands. You know, it's people definitely you know uh, for, for an advertiser to get likes on their ad. That's that's a huge deal. Like I know, yeah. Right? Like it, in the rest of the web, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to get people from blocking all their ads, whereas on Instagram they're looking for them. Anyway. Yeah, no, it's it, it, no, it's it's like no one is. Yeah, exactly. No one is. I mean, some people do complain about. Um, yeah, you know, as the getting the ads in front of people, and people complain on Instagram to, to to a degree. But um, same thing with the sort of Facebook, you know, sort sort of feed. There's the um, like what's so brilliant about these mobile advertisements and why they're actually it turned out. Remember, everyone was talking about oh, mobiles were so much less for advertising, desktops better, blah blah blah. Well, it turned out actually no, mobile was way more valuable. You just had to figure out the format. Right. And what's so brilliant about the format of both Instagram and Facebook is you simultaneously have a much more of a grip on a user's attention. Like uh, an ad on Facebook or Instagram literally takes over the entire screen of your device. Right. But it's a very, but because it's embedded in this feed that you're going through, it doesn't feel nearly as obtrusive as I'm looking at this article. I'm looking at a webpage on the, on the browser right now uh, on the Mac. And there's this, Big banner ad on the side. And it's so annoying, and it, and despite the fact, if you actually think about it, it's not actually obstructing me at all. Right. But th- it, it, it feels it's just like weird it. how the that yeah the feed right. is such a perfect advertising vehicle. Right. It it's as you know as you know as the the inventor. Right. Um. Uh. It 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 just makes intuitive sense to me in that. It always had. It always did. From the moment the iPhone came out, that of course it's eventually is going to be a terrific place to do advertising in some way. Like the hard part is only figuring out the right way. But to discount it as less valuable, you have to be a moron because it's obviously the device. You only have to spend two minutes in two thousand seven, you know, looking at an iPhone original iPhone owner's relationship with their phone and see that it's by far and away the, the most emotionally attached computing device that they own. It's right. It's intimate. And of course that's valuable. It's super valuable. And it's with them all the time. How could that not be more valuable? You know, it's yep. again, not, I'm not saying it was obvious at all that something like, Inst, you know, Instagram, I mean, I'd be a very wealthy man if I had come up with the idea for Instagram in 2007, but uh, it, it, I just knew though that there was some kind of opportunity there. Right. Right. Crazy exactly. to discount it, just because you couldn't show the same type of ads that you could show on a on a on a desktop. Anyway, right? Let me, they, yeah. Let yeah. me take a break. Let me take a break here and thank our next sponsor. Unless you had a good point to make, do you have a good point? No, uh, no, no, I have no, no good point. Point. All right. <laughs> uh, our third and final sponsor of the episode is our good friends at Squarespace. Look, next time you have to do something new, you got a new company you're starting. You want to start a podcast, your own podcast. You want to start a blog, 
you're uh and it's it's may maybe you're a student you're graduating you want to put together a portfolio site of your work do it in squarespace make your next move on squarespace you want to make a website do it on squarespace i'm telling you do it first by the time you spend half an hour trying it in squarespace you'll you'll be halfway to having your thing done whereas if you did it by hand you'd still be you know learning php or something like that i'm telling you you can make your own website with Squarespace with no coding experience, no programming experience, no system administrator experience. All of that stuff is all taken care of. It's an all-in-one platform. This is the thing I think people don't don't get about Squarespace is that everything from registering your domain name to keeping the server running to collecting the stats that show you which pages on sites people are going to and, and stuff like that, it's all there. It's all in the platform. So you don't have to do, well, you do this and then you have it it's just hosted, but then if you want to get stats, you've got to install some other analytics package or something like that. None of it. All of it is right there in the Squarespace platform. And the thing I always keep emphasizing is they have all these templates to choose from, but they have so many templates and the templates are so easily configured with your own graphics or fonts or something like that, that your site doesn't look like a cookie cutter Squarespace site. I guarantee you, you you visit Squarespace sites every day and don't even realize they're Squarespace sites because they look original to the brands of the company whose site it is. So next time you need a new website, go to squarespace.com and slash talk show and uh, use the code Gruber, my last name, when you actually fork over the dough and you'll save 10% off your first order. My thanks to Squarespace, longtime sponsor of the show. Good friends. All right. We got to get to China. <laughs> right? That's the whole reason you're on the show. Yeah, I, 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 this is my busy season. Um, by busy season, I mean it's the NBA playoffs. So <laughs> I haven't had a chance to listen to the your episode last week, uh, where I, I think you discussed this, but a little bit. But it was it's uh, what I wrote about was more. You know, if you read my article, then you you know where I stand. Got it. Yeah, I, don't I, know. I hope the, I represented you fairly. Do you feel like I represented you fairly? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I I I, th- I still think uh, I I think the part where you disagreed with me, you're wrong, which is fine because we can we can talk about it. So <laughs> it should we should, should because make it, for I, good I podcasting. Would, I would say that more like I got more. Hey, I usually agree with you, but I think you're wrong on this. I got more of that for that that stance than anything in recent memory, which doesn't make me dig in my heels. It makes me think, hmm, there's a good chance I'm wrong about this. Yeah, and this this is one of the great things about writing for the web generally that like it like you've made this comment before and I've stolen it because I think it's such a great way to put it. The goal, I love being right. But the way you're right is by fixing the parts when you're wrong. Right. And having tons of people giving you feedback and is a great way to get right much more quickly than was ever possible before. Right. I like to be right all the time. And the way to be right all the time is to catch the times that you're wrong and correct them. And right. It's, like I said, I totally stole that right. from you, but I think it's a great way to think about right. it. Right. And too many people who want to be right all the time, it's, and, and, and let's say they're right most of the time, uh, they're defensive about the times that they're wrong. And when they are wrong, they you, you see it all the time. You see it in politics, you see it in tech, you see it in anything you follow. But when they're wrong, you can see it, that they're digging in and trying to spin a way to make it that they're right. Whereas the right. easiest so, thing in the world to do is to just publish an update and say, you know what, <laughs> totally wrong. 
Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I write these every now and then. Like, I, I actually, I, I like it in some respects when something comes along that I was wrong about. Um, and sometimes I'm factually wrong, or I get, and that's fine. That's an easy correction. I just I misscrewed something up or whatever. Um, like saying that there was no touchscreen. Um, <laughs> sometimes, like, I predictions are wrong or my analysis is wrong. And in some respects, I actually value that because as soon as that happens, I will write a big post that I will say what I got wrong. I'll say why I got wrong. I'll explain my thought process that went into it. What part of my thought process in retrospect was incorrect. And then the value that that accrues is not just that now I'm right, but also you know, it kind of gives you capital to say other stuff in the future because people will take you more seriously because even if you what you're saying is wrong, like they they will know that you're you know, you one, you will correct yourself in the future, but two, uh, there, there's a process that goes into it that it's not just sort of like shooting from the hip sort of thing. So, um, for me, I, I actually think it's not just a benefit of the web. I don't need an editor, although that's that is from a very sort of small perspective the case. I think from a big perspective, it's it's one of the wonderful things about writing for a, a large audience. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and it's sort of like a, a shows, you know, like being happy every once in a while when you, you know, have to correct a pretty big error or just, you know, like, oh, I, I was convinced that it was all all doors should open from the left, but dude, that's idiotic. Sometimes the doors should open from the right. Uh, you publish it, you know, you just say it like that. Um, it's sort of proof that the system works. Like, I, you know, right. a way of, you know, I like to think that when I'm wrong, I will recognize it instantly and, you know, swallow my pride and do what I can to to fix it as uh, unambiguously as possible. But if I don't do it for a while, how do I know that I'm not, even though I think that that's what I'm willing to do, how do I know that I'm not just going into denial every time I'm wrong? Yeah, no, exactly. And this is something that I think about a ton, like this idea of like confirmation bias, where you're you always look for evidence that supports your position, right. and and it takes like a lot of like discipline to actively look for reasons why you might be wrong, uh, which I absolutely try to do. But then also just having, like I said, the, the fact you get instant feedback and people pushing back on you, like forces you to to think about that. I mean, yeah. it's one that. Yeah. So anyhow, it's just a sort of meta sort of commentary. The, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I I think a good example of that. I think probably the the review that I'm the the product review that I probably did the worst job on was the original Apple Watch, and that's why like a month later I wrote like a second one. It was more or less the same basic idea of here's this new product from Apple. What is it? And what do I think about it? Like the first one was just it. it I don't know. It, it wasn't awful, but it wasn't like poorly written. But it just, I it just never sat right with me. And rereading it a month later, I was like, just, I, I don't know. I, it felt like a swing and a miss. And I feel like part of the problem was that it was, it was too much of a what's good about this product review, whereas it should have, you know, it wasn't. It, it was written from that perspective. Like, I don't right. know if that's quite confirmation bias, but it's, it. Apple wouldn't do this if they didn't have a good reason to do it. So what are those good reasons? Whereas I think the story was more, this is a, you know, especially that 1.0 watch was, this is a product that doesn't really know what it's good for yet. Yeah, no, I mean, it's funny. I I was all over the place on the watch. My original take was that, which is like, this is a product that is lacking vision. Like it no. doesn't know what it is. Well, and I it, think that's it, more accurate. 
Right, exactly. I, well, and then I went back and I and I actually fell into the like I had too much faith in Apple. Like, no, are they really just launching this beautiful device? And then that's really the the point. And and so I actually went back and changed my mind. And had this very notorious contentious episode of X One where me and James were arguing about it. Um, and then I and then eventually I had to come back. My in this case, my fix was actually wrong and worse. So I had to go back and like, no, actually, I had it right the first time. And now, it, so I, I hate that. I hate that that happened, especially because I actually had it right the first time. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, whatever, it happens. If, you, if you're giving your if you're giving your analysis or opinion uh, four days a week, you're going to get it wrong, which is fine as long as you as long as you correct it. So, so you you run into this. We've spoken about this that. Um, you don't write strategery is not uh, it's the tech in general. I mean, and and if you tend to write yes. strategery, 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 tech, tech, it's about tech. I honestly, terrible, I terrible honestly don't even do it to razz you. I honestly have done it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I made I the mispronounce the mispronounce. No, I pronounced it differently at the beginning, so I, I made it even worse. It was already a bad name, and I made it worse. So uh, it's all one hundred percent my fault. But alas, it is what it is. So. Um. <laughs> I just tell people when people ask about my site I just tell them to search for Ben Thompson on Google because uh, that, that's, that's, that's the old hard. Jason Fried thing like we were talking about domain names like for years and years Basecamp they didn't have Basecamp.com they have it now but they they just had BasecampHQ.com because he didn't yep. he didn't you know somebody had Basecamp.com and he didn't feel like paying their exorbitant price he did eventually but he was like screw it people just Google for Basecamp anyway <laughs> right <laughs> which is true anyway um <laughs> You've written about this, like, so you don't. Um, it's certainly not your your writing is not Apple focused, not even in the way that mine is. But you certainly do write enough about Apple, simply because if you write about tech in general, Apple is uh, kind of a big company, and they kind of do inter- a lot of tend to do interesting things. But you've spoken about this that when you write articles or, or have like a column that's sort of critical of Apple, you you get like unsubscriptions sometimes. <laughs> it's like oh, people yeah, don't no, want to hear it. No, that's always been the case. I mean, it was so when I started, I wrote a lot more, probably even more about Apple, in part because that was the company I knew the best. Like I'd been following them closely. I'd written like I'd written a huge paper about them in school. Uh, like in I spent a lot of time trying to understand and think about what made them successful. And obviously, I interned there um, at Apple University and got, got came to learn and understand so much about sort of the inner workings. It was a fantastic experience. And especially when I started, also it was when the whole Samsung is gonna is disrupting Apple narrative was was in was in place, and so I got tons of articles saying this is dumb, like in trying to explain Apple and their differentiation. And back then it was controversial to say that iOS was not going to be swamped by Android and developers weren't going to flee on mass and all this right. sort of stuff. Like that was still a thing back then. Yeah. So I and and the iPhone dead in the water. Henry Blodgett. Right. Right. And and the biggest, you know, as I've recounted, the sort of the biggest uh, event in the early strategy days for gaining readership was you linking to me and saying, you know, this is a fantastic new blog, and you linked to a bunch of art, a bunch of articles. And uh, as per kind of like this column this week, like, oh, this is a great blog, really good, blah blah blah. But for the first time, I disagree with Mister Thompson. Then he like explained where explained where I was wrong. Um, which, but uh, that, that was, was an outright the, disagreement, though. Not this time. This time, it's like I said, it's a subtle difference of of weight. I would say. Yeah, and I actually, I, and I actually think you were right in that case. Um, and uh, so oh, I was definitely right back then. 
<laughs> I was just waiting. That's the. I was just really. I was just waiting for you to make a mistake, and then I knew I could link to you because then instead of just saying how great it was, I could also point out that you made a, a, an error in your thinking. I was well, just waiting I, for it. Well, the, the the long and short of it though is sort of my initial, and then the, after that I got linked to by Marco a couple times, and I, I, so I really started in the sort of Apple blogosphere is where awareness of me started to grow. So, so a lot of my initial right. followers were were in, in that in that arena. So you fast forward like a year or something, and I wrote something about Apple and services, and basically, I, which I. Th- which I still think was a good point. It's a point that I brought up again and again is how companies are sort of shaped by their by their origin and and their their and that influences the culture and the way they approach products for the entire life of a company. And I gave talked about Google, talked about Microsoft, talked about Apple, talked about a bunch of examples. And in this case, I was ma- trying to explain that Apple struggle with services not because they're dumb, but because they're so great at products. And this is a point, you know, obviously I've returned to this point in the past. Like to say that Apple struggles with services is not to criticize Apple or say they're dumb people. It's in a recognition that the same things that make Apple the best product company, an amazing product company, work against being a great services company. Right. Anyhow. People didn't want to hear After, it. <laughs> people did not want to hear it. So I had just started the daily update then. And so my, you know, my subscriber numbers were in the, you know, I think at that point, I was only a couple months in, so maybe the low hundreds. And I got like 20 or 30 like unsubscriptions, like immediately. And people were mad. And it was, it was shocking. Like I did not expect that to come at all. Um, it was good. It was a good lesson to learn. Like the people were caring more about, Apple than they did about me, and that's fine. I have no no problem with that. And over time, you know, certainly I've come to build up, you know, a a, a user base. And one of the great things about my model is it's ten dollars a month. So if you want to quit, it doesn't really affect me, my life in the slightest, uh, which is great. That, that I actually love that about about this model. But yeah, it's funny. Uh, whenever I write something that is not purely optimistic about Apple, there is definitely an uptick in people. Uh, not, turning off auto renew on their on their subscriptions. I've seen it on sports too. Like I follow some Yankees beat writers on Twitter, Twitter, and every once in a while they'll get in an argument with people. And there's a certain certain flavor of Yankee fan who just doesn't want to hear it that the Yankees aren't the best team in baseball. Now this year they actually are the best team in baseball, but uh, but like last year, last couple of years, the Yankees have been kind of eh, you know they haven't been bad. They haven't had a losing season, but they're it clearly we're not going anywhere, you know, weren't going to win a championship and any kind of uh, sports coverage along the lines of, you know, it's not really a great strategy to be paying $27 million to a 41 mil, 41 year old, uh, Alex Rodriguez with a bad hip and the Yankees fans are like, wow, what, how can you, you know, why do you want to write about the Yankees if you hate them so much? <laughs> right. It's like unfollow. <laughs> and it's like, uh, actually he's just sort of an expert on baseball and he's pointing out something that's actually pretty obvious, which is that you know, having old people on your team is not a good way to win at sports. Yeah, and, and I, it's a and it's a great thing for Apple. It's one of Apple's really core strengths is the the devotion that Apple has fans. Right? right, like it's that's not a from a business perspective. I look, I put my business analyst hat on, and I that's amazing. And it's something that Apple uses as a tool, as a strategic tool, again and again. Like they, that's that's how the iPhone. You know, they would go into a country and they would dictate terms, and the leading carriers would say no. 
and then they'd go to the second place carrier and often they'd say no they go to the third place carrier who's desperate to catch up and say okay we accept your terms and then the iPhone is on the carrier like Japan is probably the classic example of this SoftBank was well right. in third place and the iPhone is on SoftBank and people started switching their carriers which they never did before to get the iPhone and by and large, particularly at the beginning, they were Apple fans who already loved Apple, loved Apple products, desperately wanted an iPhone, and they switched. This happened in the U.S. with, AT- with AT&T, same thing. And yeah. over time, then Apple could eventually, now the iPhone is on all the carriers, and it's on Apple's terms with all of them. And that's all because of the devotion that people have to Apple. It's an amazing, right. it's a, it's an amazing tool. Yeah. Uh, what, a, what a weird duck the Verizon iPhone 4 was. Right, it's like the, yeah. it's like the only sort of half iPhone that was ever made. Like, it's not just like we'll get to this in a minute or two, but not like okay, we've made the iPhone seven in red. I mean, that's just the color. Uh, it, it, it was available in white though, because remember the white phone was super delayed. Yeah, but when the Verizon one shipped, it the white one still wasn't even out. So like, I think the Verizon one shipped in early February. But it was weird. Oh, did I? I thought it was the same time. Yeah, but regardless, yeah, it was still weird. Yeah, yeah, it was like eight months later, and it had a different antenna. You know, it had the the modern iPhone 4s antenna design, not the the slightly problematic antenna gate one from the uh, the GSM version. Anyway, what a weird thing. Um. All right, so let's summarize this. Yeah. So so the uh, yeah. So basically, the 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 overall premise is that. In China, the user interface, WeChat is so dominant that it reduces sort of the software lock-in that an iPhone has, which makes it more viable to switch. Uh, At a very sort of high level, that's it. And I I would just kind of tap down one level, which when when I talk about the the lock-in, it's not just a lock-in in in, in that there's no iMessage or that apps are available on both platforms, which is the case. I mean, there's no app that's while used in China that's not available on Android. Like, it's not really an iOS first sort of environment the way it is in the U.S., where even still there will be hot new apps that are that are iOS only to start. So that's not so that's part of it. But also, it's not just the apps; it's the interaction, it's the user interface. When you're in one app all the time, you're using that app, and that's the dominant way that you experience your phone. Whereas in the U.S., yes, we may use Facebook and Uber and uh, and PayPal or or uh, Square Cash or whatever it might be that are all analogs for WeChat functions. But every time you switch an app, every time you use the app switcher, every time you go back to the home screen, that's all interacting with the operating system. You're interacting with the operating system constantly on an, uh, outside of China. And in China, you're not really interacting with the operating system at all. So there's no, even the little niggling things about moving stuff around is... Is, is reduced. And so the lock-in is not just about a actual, like on paper lock-in. It's like in the user experience lock-in is less as well. Right. It almost sounds to me like it's used for so much that it's actually a problem that iOS doesn't let you t- define, you know, like, uh, like the, they don't show the icon anymore, but you know how, like from the lock screen, you can jump right to the camera by swiping to the side. And when they first introduced that feature, they had a little camera icon in the corner. Right. Yep. And you could like, I think it used to drag up instead of drag over. Um, like they've changed the interaction. But the idea is here's an app that's so important 
And, you know, obviously camera is a little different than WeChat because camera, it might be a fleeting moment you're trying to capture. So being able to get there quick, it's not just that you use it a lot, but that getting there quickly from a locked phone can be the difference between getting the shot and not getting the shot. Um, but iOS doesn't let you do things like, say, uh, let me put WeChat on my lock screen so I can jump right to WeChat from a locked phone right away. Like, you're, none of that's configurable. And it sounds to me like WeChat is so central in, to the experience in China that the iPhone would be a better OS if you could. Yeah, well, it's not it, – in many respects, all the all the sort of lock-in things on an iPhone that are occasionally mild irritants, uh, you know, here. But by and large, the iPhone, like the Apple's built-in stuff is usually good enough that it's it's fine. Like, you know, you can't switch the default browser. You can't switch the default email client or all, all sorts of that little stuff that that can be kind of irritating if, if you care. But at, at the end of the day, it's not that big a deal. In China, it's it's much more of – it's much more of an irritant. Like, I mean, because remember, Android there is, is completely – it's not Google Android. It's all it, they're all like Chinese variants, right. uh, and and a lot of them are offer much more sort of flexibility. The and little you know they just use phones kind of differently than we do here. And so in some respects, an iPhone is not just it's not just that because you're most using WeChat, the experience is mostly the same. In some respects, it's arguably actually worse in a way that it isn't you know in, in other parts of the world. Yeah, and that's that is terrible for Apple. And so let's just say this before we get into speculation or, or analysts, but it's it's just a fact. It's a statement of fact that iPhone sales in China are down year over year. I think in the the just completed quarter they were down fourteen percent. Um, yeah, in this the second year in a row, they were down even more last year. It, it, two years in a row, and until then, there were the the it was. It was an increase. It's a sharp difference. It's almost like a V-shaped curve. I, I think it's fair to say where it was it was rising very quickly year over year, and then all of a sudden now it's dropping year over year. It wasn't like it had leveled off for a while. There's no plateau really. I don't think. Um, and so why? I mean, it's a fact that iPhone sales are down. It is also we can't say it's a fact, but there's at least two market research studies that you you found one that was written in Chinese, and then there's another one that Business Insider linked up last year. I forget who, some U.S. analyst firm. But both of them found roughly the same thing, which is that um, in 2016 in China, iPhone users, uh, people who already owned an iPhone, and they if they bought a new smartphone, only about 50 to 55% of them bought another iPhone. And in the rest of the world, that number ranges from around the, like the mid-70s in Japan to the mid eighties in the U S and UK and the high eighties in Germany. Um, and so we can't say it's a fact that 50% of Chinese iPhone users bought an Android phone last year, but we can say it's a fact that two market research studies that seem pretty well rigorously performed to me say so. Right. And, it, and it's shown in Apple's numbers too. I mean, there's, there's right. several, there's several data points to, to triangulate on, on here. Right. And it, that, and that, that's a, like, that's a stunning difference. Like it's not like it's one, it's not small, but two, I mean, one of the real points that I talk about going back to those Apple arguments, you know, back when I first started Techery, like one of the core things that was critical to understand with the iPhone is that iPhone users bought new iPhones and, Android users often changed. And if you just play that out in the long run, in a saturated market, that's actually to Apple's favor because they're going to keep their users and they're just going to slowly keep 
adding other ones. And that's what is actually happening. What's so interesting about th- this, this quarter, the iPhone 7, both this quarter and last quarter, is that if you exclude China, it's a smashing success. Yeah. Like it is still growing and it's growing nicely and it's growing in quote unquote saturated markets. And this is exactly, and this is something that I've been, I've been writing you know, since way back when that actually a saturated market is going to be good for Apple because of this, mm-hmm. you know, if you just play out the math and Tim Cook has made that point, but it, it it's more compelling from you because he, he's too droll about it. Right? No, we, <laughs> well, well, the, you and I were chatting about this and you, you completely convinced me you, 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 you made me rethink my take on Apple's just completed quarter. That yeah, it's actually the, pretty good, except that it's really stinky in China. Right, and and it's good in a it's good in an understandable, predictable way. Right, it's yeah. not like these these growing numbers. Like, wow, look at Apple growing. Right. No, if you actually think through, and you you've talked about it before, why advertising would be compelling on mobile because mobile is so important to your life. Well, if mobile is so important to your life, that means of all the objects, even if you have to save money or cut costs, what's the one object you're actually going to splurge on? Right. probably the object that's the single most important object in your life, right? right? And that's the iPhone, and that's Apple, and the iMessage thing, and having blue bubbles, and the status that confers to it, and the fact people use it all the time, and like all that stuff, Like, there's just really no reason to, why would you want to switch, And whereas there are reasons to go in the other direction. And this has always been the problem of being a, an OEM, whether it be a Windows OEM that we talked about before, like HP and ThinkPad aren't, you know, what's the difference? Same thing with Android. Like, at the end of the day, what's really the difference? Yes, Samsung is doing some innovative stuff with hardware, but that's not a sustainable, right. that's not a sustainable advantage. And, uh, and whereas Apple has always had the software part, and that's so critical. Uh, I, I think that's a, you know, we worth underlining again just how interesting that observation is and I'm, I'm convinced that it's true but I, if you go back six seven the last five six seven years I think that the uh, and and going to the era you were talking about where the 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 narrative was that Samsung is coming to eat Apple's lunch because of some combination of you can't stay differentiated forever and the majority, oh, we saw what happened the last time with Windows and Mac. The majority OS eventually eats the other one. And I think part of that narrative at the time, too, though, was that the go-go years were all about um, expanding to new countries. And then yep, within those bro. countries, expanding to new carriers, like being exclusive on AT&T for four years. And now all of a sudden you've got Verizon. And then a year later you had Sprint and T-Mobile. And, you know, and obviously that was the go-go, the true go-go years of the iPhone were, were based on that. And But the narrative was, well, that's over now and the, satur- the markets are getting saturated and that dooms the iPhone. I think that you have a really compelling case that, that saturated markets are actually good for the iPhone. Right. The, the the only real danger that the iPhone faces in most of the world is people holding onto their iPhones longer. Yeah. Like no one, like it, no one again outside of China is really switching away. It's just the the phones are so good now that you can use a phone for 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 two three years, whereas maybe before, like the difference in year to year, or the difference every two years was so huge. I mean, remember going from like I actually you know because I was young, you know, I was. Uh, Back when I was poor and a student, I only got a phone every two years. So I got the 3G, and then I got the um, no, I got the 3GS because that's when I came back over from the states. And then I had an iPod Touch before then. 
And then I got the, I skipped the 4, and I got the 4S. I mean, going from the 3GS to the 4S was such an unbelievable leap in every single aspect of the phone. The form factor was so superior. You had the retina screen. It was a million times faster. Like, just, it it was amazing. Whereas going from a 6 to a 7, it's definitely faster. You feel that. Uh, And going back, and the button feels weird and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, could I... It, it, just the the delta it, from the way it's experienced is much smaller than it is. And this is the case for technology. It's always the case that you, you get kind of decreasing returns, but I'm not going to switch away. Yeah. The three, I think that the, the 4S was right around the time too, where I, the, the iPhone was uh, arguably a reasonable point and shoot camera in and of itself. Whereas the 3GS, it was still a cell phone camera. Yep. Like, yep. It's it's been so long now, and people take so many pictures on their phones that it's hard to imagine that, like in the early years of the iPhone, cell phone cameras were took like a second, a totally. It was almost like a different medium than a than a camera photo. You know, it well, was that's part a of how Instagram. That's a part of how Instagram got off the ground because your three G. I think it came out with a three GS in yeah. or right around then, and your photos were so bad that the filters weren't just a cool effect; they actually made them like passable. Right, they disguised the 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 lack of optical quality in the originals. You know, right, they, right. Um, <laughs> uh, it was true. It was also true too. Like in the early years of Instagram, like when people were shooting on three GS or iPhone four or something, where people would say like hashtag no filter, because it was hard to believe if you got a good, <laughs> right, good photo off. Exactly. The, like seriously, I I did not use a photo, and people would be like, oh, you know, a filter, and they'd be like, yes, you did. This looks too good. And like, I swear to God. <laughs> the light was nice. So anyway, bottom line, something is different for the iPhone in China, and it is not good for Apple. And especially if if and I'm I accept it. I accept that the, the what's the what's it called the the rate that uh, people rebuy the same product. Uh, iPhone users uh, buy a new iPhone. What's that called? Retention. Yeah, the retention rate. Uh, retention rate is significantly lower. And again, it's not catastrophic. It's, you know, 50 to 55% most, most it's still OEMs. The best, it's still the best of any OEM in China. Right. Most by, OEMs by a pretty would, significant margin. Most OEMs would kill for that rate. But that's that's not good for Apple. So something is different. And you and I are in complete agreement that WeChat is obviously the biggest part of that. I, 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 I think that you can't prove it, but it just seems... I can't imagine what else it would be. Yeah, and the, what I, th- I think it's hard to really understand is, you know, because the analogy would be like a Facebook. Well, face, you know, Facebook spent people spent tons of time on that, blah blah blah. But the extent to which you know, Facebook and apps like that are dominant in kind of leisure time and downtime, and what WeChat is dominant in all times, and it's not just. And the other, the big thing, it's not just uh, on device times. So yes, they're dominant in your social interaction. They're dominant in news. They're dominant in, you know, watching all sorts of things. You can, the NBA is on Tencent. Um, you like so they're they're dominant as far as on device things. But the degree to which you use your phone for the real world is far more extensive in China than it is in the U.S. I mean, China is way ahead in this sort of they call it O to O, online to offline. This whole arena is much bigger, much more well developed in China. So you're using your phone constantly throughout the day to interact with us, and it's all via WeChat. So you're really living this app. I mean, yeah. government interactions are are through through this, like not not just getting cars, paying for food, paying for goods. Uh, 
you know, you see there's QR codes everywhere. Like the whole thing runs on QR codes. And, you, and you know, what's the problem with QR codes is you don't know where to, what yeah. app should you use to snap the QR code? Well, there's no question about which app to use there. And so the pervasiveness of WeChat in just your interaction is, is there's no app, there's really is nothing in outside of China that is comparable. And, and, and that's why, that's good for Apple because it's not, it's Facebook, it really isn't the same. Right, like you said, that like it's like you go out to lunch with your colleagues and you know go to like a counter service place and get something, and you know like if you're paying with cash, you look, instead of taking out your phone to pay with WeChat, you look like you're you know like like trying to be a hipster or something. You know? Right? Yeah, I don't want to overstate it because it's still. I mean, that's that's more the case in specific areas like Beijing and Shanghai right. and some of the and whereas you know there's lots of parts of China where you still use cash a lot in in in, in the big cities as well. But the trend is like super strong, and it's not and it, it's in surprising places. Right? You can go to like markets and like the little old lady will have will have a phone. I mean, like there's no like square sort of thing. It's just it's all right. via it's all via Tencent. And this gets into a point I made earlier. Like the user experience is not just about the user interface. Like the user interface of like Apple Pay is, is superior. Like to make an Apple Pay purchase is so elegant, right? You just hold it up and press, put, put your thumb on it. It's amazing. But if when you consider the totality of it, where you have to figure out, oh, do you accept Apple Pay? And you have to like be awkward and ask and look around and they have to bring it up. The user, whereas the, yeah, maybe more clumsy, you have to open an app and get a, get a QR code to show. But if that's the expectation and everyone does it and everyone is equipped for it, then yeah, that specific aspect of the UI is inferior, but the totality of the user experience is far, far superior than, than a, a, another solution. I, I was at the liquor store today and um, I, I pay with Apple Pay there usually because they have a chip reader and it's, it's so much it's worse than it used to be with a credit card. So they made right. credit cards worse and slower and Apple pay is fast. And I, it, you know, it's my neighborhood liquor store and I know that Apple pay works there. And the, the guy was like a crotchety old guy. And I won't go into the long rant about Pennsylvania liquor stores being uh government owned and operated, but he was a total government employee. And he said, how do you, you know, how are you going to pay cash or credit? And I said, uh, I'll pay Apple pay. And he goes, Oh, well, you can't do that. And I thought it meant like the terminal was broken. And I looked at it and it didn't say it. And he goes, we don't accept that. And I said, yes, you do. Actually, you do. I was like, I, I pay with it here in this store all the time. And he goes, no, you don't. <laughs> and he goes, the state, the, state won't, the state won't. And I was like, I'm telling you, I was just in here yesterday and, and bought something. And, uh, uh, and, and I so, just thought, you know what? I am not going to, I am not, I, why am I arguing this? I was like, I'll pay credit. That's funny. And you should want to pay credit and then hold up your phone and then stealthily pay anyway because yeah. that, that will actually happen. Yeah. Uh, but th- oh, the other thing, the other the other point to make about this. Oh, sorry. The analogy we talked a little bit uh, about Microsoft. I also and, enjoy that. And, I just told a story that that makes it sound as though I run out of liquor in a day. <laughs> I know. Well, I, I I noted that, but I was just going to let it stand. But I I totally noticed what you said. I was there yesterday. It actually <laughs> is true that I was there the day before, but it wasn't so much that I I had drank myself out of liquor in a day, but that I'm a very poor planner in terms of knowing what else I might be running low on. But anyway, yeah. Uh, uh, oh, the, the the point to make about this uh, about how WeChat does so many things, whereas Facebook only does some things, is what happened back in the day when Microsoft was dominant. Like we used lots of apps, and those apps were actually what we used the computer for. But the reason why Microsoft got all the value and was the most 
valuable of them all is they were sort of the, the, the common, the commonality, right? They all ran on windows. And so it was sort of by having lots of disparate apps that windows itself got all the value. And the same thing with, with the iPhone there's, yeah, there's, we actually use apps. We don't use the iPhone. We spend most of our time inside Facebook, inside whatever it might be, but they're all running on the iPhone and we use enough different ones that where's the linchpin? Where's the sort of, you know, the, the squeeze is, is at the OS level. Right. What made, what, what ended Microsoft's dominance was, was, and why Google became dominant is because the web, there was so many websites and what became the common, what became the winch point? It was Google. It was the search box, right? And when everything, when you guys sort of a one-to-one relationship where all between Google, between Google and the computer it ran on, the value in sort of the value chain kind of went up the stack where to the new platform where all the sites sort of sat on top of it, right? So it, it went up. As long in the analogy of the phone is, as long as you're using multiple apps, multiple apps are important to your day, then the actual value, the point of leverage is the OS. But once everything consolidates into one app, then that point of leverage skips up a level. And that, that is the case in China, and it's not the case in, in other places, if that makes sense. You have to have an app that does everything. If it only did some things, it's not going to steal leverage in, yeah. in, in a similar way. In the in the the Apple's decades old, you know, almost foundational, uh, you know, literally, I mean, like it, it, software wasn't quite as important in the Apple two days or Apple one days even as it is today. But it, you know, it, it was the marriage of hardware and software that made Apple products what you know different right from the get go. I mean, and again, like I mentioned in my thing, writing about your thing that was it's Steve Wozniak is venerated and mostly thought of as an engineer, hardware engineer, cause that's what he was an electrical engineer, but he was a software genius too. I mean, he, he, he never written a compiler in his life and he, he made the Apple basic, he put the Apple base, he completely created Apple basic from scratch. Yeah, it's incredible. Put it in a ROM chip. <laughs> like, he didn't. He like borrowed somebody's, like his neighbor's neighbor at HP in a cubicle. Borrowed like a, a compiler book and taught himself to write a compiler in ROM. I mean, he was a software genius. Uh, it was a great basic. It was a great version of basic, and it was right there as soon as you turn the machine on. Um, in that formula of hardware differentiated by proprietary software, it, the software side is way more important to Apple. In the long term, than the hardware side, right? So the can, hardware is just is how they monetize it. It's it's a right. it's a money vehicle, right? And that's people focus on it because it's that's the actual thing you buy, and and certainly finance people, fo- like tech people, f- f- concentrate on it because it's easier to do a review of new hardware than it is slowly that it is to review slowly um, uh, uh, evolving software that software. evolves evolving software over time. Um, but the software is way more important than the hardware. I mean, you can have something like the Mac Pro that doesn't get updated for four years, and it's not going to kill the Mac. But if the software, you know, was as stagnant as the Mac Pro hardware, it would be a disaster. Well, that and that it almost did kill Apple, right? That, right. That back back in the nineties, and yeah, and this is the this was going back to why all those people were so wrong about the iPhone. This is exactly why it's, right. they didn't properly value software. 
and they didn't properly value software because that's not Apple didn't charge for it. Right. But that was to that's what people always failed to not understand about Apple is that the entire reason why they can charge for much for the hardware is because the software is different. I mean, there's you'd always read reviews, right? There'd be like a review way back in the day, like PC Magazine of like the new Mac Pro. It would compare it to or Mac or whatever they were called back then, and they would compare it to the PC, blah blah. blah. Power and Mac. it was such, yeah, it was it was. And it was dumb. It was a farce. Right. Because the reality is, if you're in the market for a Mac, there is no competition. Like that, in how do you make a lot of money? You make a lot of money by having a monopoly. The, like Apple has a monopoly. They have a monopoly on their software. The only way to get their software is by buying their hardware, which lets them charge way more for their hardware than anyone else can charge for theirs. It, I mean, it, and it's that's why they're the most valuable company in the world. Uh, and you know, again, like a perfect point. The only time Apple was ever actually in real trouble in circa, you know, 1996 or so, um, was when their software stack had been exposed as being antiquated, you know, and had serious technical problems. And there were really, you know, it, it, you could make a really compelling case that for, you know, in some cases for some people, not for everybody, but for some people it was, you know, decidedly a worse platform than than the competition that's that's oh, I mean I mean Apple's were had been slower than PCs for multiple years at that point but when when you were getting a situation where like just the, the I mean no protected memory and and it right. was like honestly if you actually cared about the work you were doing at any given time on your computer you were kind of nuts to not use a it's not use once Windows got protected memory, like to not use Windows. No, yeah, it I might disagree. have sucked, but what? I, no, I mean, your computer's <laughs> crashing all the time. Mine was not crashing all the time, but you. Yeah. But the reason mine wasn't crashing all the time was that I was sufficiently. You were expert, careful about it, right? Right, sufficiently expert at using a Macintosh that I knew not to install. I knew what type of stuff not to install. I knew exactly, and if and if I did crash and I got you know I had Maxbug installed, I could. I wasn't like an expert at Maxbug, but I could at least see what it was that crashed you know i could figure out what it was that was causing the problem right right but that that's a problem the fact that you had to be an expert mac and mac user to to have that ability though is a problem because it weren't supposed to it, it's fine like where the mac is today is is a terrific position in that regard where if you want to be an expert and are an expert you can do amazing things that other people can't but that the casual user it's not who, a necessity though right <laughs> Right, it does. It's absolutely not a necessity just to use the web and check your email and find out what's going on on Facebook. Right, and what really shows how dumb the argument about hardware is is that the Mac became more valuable as a product line once its hardware became the same as everybody else. Yeah, right, exactly. Like it, 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 like once they started using every, all standard stuff, it was a more valuable product and they sold more. And it's yet people couldn't get. Went back to the iPhone and said, "Oh, because the hardware." Blah, blah, blah. It's yeah, it's it's so funny how people just don't. Even today, I mean, I I think it's mostly the war has been won. But even today, there's some like that people don't get the uh, the software is not sold for a dollar, and it's the most valuable thing they make. Right. There was a plan in the '90s before the next. They settled on the you know acquiring Next and and using Next Step as their operating system of the future. But but at the point where they were evaluating their options and they were thinking about buying the BOS, um, uh, that one of the options I, I think it was Alan Hancock who was then the 
chief technical officer, which is a position that I don't think anybody even ha- held after her at Apple. But I think it was her who endorsed it. And if not, I apologize to Ellen Hancock. But somebody at Apple seriously investigated uh, like using Windows NT as the foundation and just building like a like a TouchWiz, like a Macintosh TouchWiz interface on top of NT. You know, like what TouchWiz is to Android that Apple, yeah, yeah, you just paint a little, you know, a little Apple-like magic on top of it, but you can, you know, outsource the actual operating system to Windows NT. That would have it would have completely sunk the company. Company would have been gone and. Yeah, it it, it, it had it exactly upside down right. the, the way. Right, w- but they w- can w- do w- what, doing the exact same thing on the hardware side by switching the internals to bog standard Intel, you know, PCs that could literally dual boot into Windows if you wanted them to, or still can today. It, you know, was the best thing that ever happened to Mac hardware. Right, and so the the reason this matters is if you're and why the iPhone Seven will sell well is if you need a new phone, uh, you're gonna buy you're gonna you're gonna buy an iPhone Seven, right? And it's faster and it's better, and yes, the, the camera's better, and yeah, it may it maybe it looks the same as the iPhone Six, but like you're when that's your only choice, it's not really that big of a deal, yeah. right? And and the problem and the problem whereas Android, like it's like the what lock in. There's not really any lock in at all. Samsung's been trying to create some sort of lock in yeah. for years, and they fail because they're, they're that's not what they're good at. So here's where we disagree. Where we disagree, we agree that it's a big problem for Apple if we that WeChat's dominance is, uh, is more important, more central than iOS to the experience. Would then lend you believe that more iPhone users would be willing to switch to Android, and we're seeing proof of that that it's happening. Right. Um, where we subtly disagree is that you also think it's a factor in these declining sales is the fact that the iPhone Seven looks so much like a six and six S. Yeah, and and, and the I, reason is because. Yeah, I agree, sorry. and this is the point. That's the exact point where my sort of uh, it's definitely contrarian to most people because I think that most people who who opine professionally about the design of phones took that you know emphasized the wow it's the same form factor as the last two years, um, and that's not you know that that's an inherently negative thing. Um, I I I agree in the basics though. You know I'm not I'm not like. I'm not arguing the extreme point that the iPhone is now in a perfect shape and should never change in any dimension or something like that. Um, I just think it's less of a factor than you do. And in fact, almost irrelevant in the China case. Well, see, I, so I agree with you in, in most of the rest of the world because at the end of the day, you're buy, to buy an iPhone is to buy an an iOS delivery device, right? At the end of the day, the hardware is a vehicle to get the software that you want. And this is what Apple is and always has been. The but what just set aside Apple for a while and think about what drives high-end Samsung sales, what drives, you know, other high-end vendors in China, Huawei and, and Oppo. Like why would you choose one or the other? Well, you're going to choose based on Hardware, you're going to choose, and what goes into hardware? Well, some aspect of it is features, like the camera, and which is better or not. Some aspect of it is the way it looks. We're talking about a device that's with you all the time, your most personal device. It's all it's, you pull out, you put it on the table. It, it, it it's something that says who you are, and part of that is if it something that looks the same. Here, here's the analogy I would take. Uh, think about buying a Mercedes or buying a, a BMW uh, or, or an Audi or whatever, or whatever you want. Are there differences in 
how they drive and their performance. Yes, of course there are. And some people will always only buy a Mercedes. They'll always only buy a BMW. And that's the same thing with using, say, WeChat on a phone or using it on Android. Some people will only ever buy one of them because it's still different. It's still, there's some aspect of the experience that is still, you know, about iOS. And those, it's not to say that that's not a factor in China. It still is. It just, it's not as big. The number of people that actually care about that are, are, are fewer. But the way some people will choose to buy which car to buy is, well, it's been, you know, BMW just came with a new 5 Series. But before then, the sales were really bad the previous year. Why? Because it had been the same design for five years. And now this year, the sales are really good. Why? Because they just came out with a new model. And it's the same sort of thing. If it's the, if it's the old model, maybe you'll buy it because you just actually like an iPhone that much. But maybe you'll buy something else. And the implication is I'm actually a bit of an optimist in the short term because a new iPhone is going to come out. And I think lots of people are going to want to buy it. I, my point that it's not relevant though, is that it, even if there is a spike, let's say, let's just say that the rumors are true and Apple ships in September, at least one iPhone, that's a very distinctly new design. And, you know, maybe all three of them, you know, there's somebody came out with a report this week that the seven and seven S or seven S plus and seven S are also going to have glass backs, which, which I don't want to get down this rattle, but it's nonsense. If it's true that the the second tier new phones, not the super phone, not the iPhone Pro that might be you know twelve hundred or fourteen hundred dollars, but like the ones that are replacing the seven and and seven plus, if they have glass backs, they're not going to call them the seven S and seven S plus because the S thing only applies to looks exactly the same as the last year's, but with new new technology. If they do that, they all all three phones would have new names. But anyway, that's a different point. Um, let's just say Apple comes out with exciting new phone, and Chinese lo and behold, Chinese sales spike again. And you know, there's pretty strong correlation that hey, new design equals i you know Apple's back in in China. I'll, I'll apologize to you. I'll admit that you were right. If it's a noticeable spike, um, it, it, or because it. It would almost have to be. It's not just that they'd have to be a spike, but it would have to to prove it. I think it would have to mean that Chinese growth would be even greater than the growth everywhere else from the sale of this new iPhone. Right? That the argument here is that the Chinese market is more sensitive both ways to the hardware design of a phone. That when it is new and wow, you've got the best new iPhone, they're even more willing to buy it than the rest of the world. And when they feel like it's stale, they're more willing to abandon it. Do you feel like that's a fair? assessment. I, I do think so. I, I thought you were going to say that they'd have to sell even more than the iPhone 6, because I'm not sure. Oh, I don't, I don't know about that. that. That's true. Right. Yeah, because I mean, there, there's two parts. So one, yes, I, I do believe that's the case. And I do think that iPhone growth in China will be greater than in other regions of the world when a new when a new design comes out. Uh, I, I do wonder, though, something that, that, that I've been thinking a lot about, and this is, this is the real bear case for Apple in China, is... I mean, the iPhone 6, it wasn't just that it was the big phone. It was That's also the first phone that came out on China Mobile, which is the, right. the, the largest carrier in, in China. And at the same time, you have, you have the continued emergence of, of you know, a, a, a middle class that, that can stretch for a luxury good that in the grand scheme of things isn't that expensive. Like I just talked about cars, right? right. I mean, to buy a phone is, is a fraction of the cost, even if you're buying the very best phone in the world. Right. So my big question, though, and this is the, the the bare bull case, the best news for Apple would be exactly what I say, where there's 
I think regardless, it's going to be a big jump. The question is, was the iPhone 6 a fad? You know what I mean? Where mm-hmm. it was the thing to get, and now, you know, it, it, like luxury goods go through this, right? For at one point, it's Louis Vuitton, then it's Chanel, then it's like Hermes, then it's Balenciaga, or whatever it might be. Like, is that, is the, was the iPhone 6 a fad where it's just the thing to get? Or... I don't think that's the case. It might be a little bit. Or is the iPhone and Apple a luxury good and an aspirational good, which I do think it is. And this matters. In, it matters in China. It matters way more in China than, than the U.S. And it's, it, it, like the level of conspicuous consumption in China is is kind of jarring when you go. Like you you can be in like some rundown part of town or messy and dirty, and there's stuff flying around and there's people walking down the road with like Chanel bags. Like it, it's, it's, it's very different and matters. And you pull out your phone, you put it on the table at the coffee shop. And yeah, even if it's in a case, you can see what kind of phone it is. And, and it really matters. And Apple still has a great brand and it still means something that it's an Apple. And I think that's the, that's why they're still maintaining sales to the degree that they are, uh, and so I, I'm still relatively bullish. If you want to be bearish, though, it'd be that oh, it was just a fad, which I don't think is true, but it's it's possible. But here's my my point is that this going back to the software being more important than the hardware. What has you attached to the Apple brand has to be the software too. It's not just that Apple as a company needs to be more focused on the software platform, but if the software so, software platform isn't what's primarily keeping you buying iPhones then you're so much less sticky. Like if you really right. are just exactly. concerned, somebody else can, I would argue that the competition is way closer to iPhone quality hardware than they are, than Android is to being iOS quality software. Right, um, no, that, that, that's, that's absolutely true. But in I really do think in China, and this isn't like a Johnny completely observation. I've made this point right. like three, four years ago that the big differentiation for Apple in China has always been the brand. Yeah. Like that matters more. And that's some, one of Apple's actually advantages and something they learned with the whole 5C thing is be, having only a high-end brand or a high-end phone is a good thing because there is no watering down of the brand, right? right. Yes, you can have a high-end Samsung. There's also low-end crappy ones floating around. Same thing with with all the other Chinese brands. The fact that an iPhone is always an expensive device is a is something that actually helps preserve or that. It's brand always value. an expensive device or an old device, right? Right. And so the only but way it was they- expensive at some point, right? Um. Okay, so what about the red iPhone? I didn't mention that in my article. I got a whole bunch of, well, what about the red one? Because the red one is obviously new. Like People can quibble about whether the jet black iPhone looks new, but the red one is unmistakably new. Do you think the red one, the red iPhone 7, will make a difference in the second half of, of this financial year? It might. I think that, you know, I think Cook was totally right to say that there's anticipation for a new device, which I, again, I think. I think that was about China, that comment right. that people are waiting for the new device. So I, th- it, it might have uh, an impact, but I think it will be muted that yeah. at this point people are, are waiting and people like are super, super up to date on this stuff. Like the, uh, uh, I, I mean, I don't live in China, but I will just say being here in Taiwan, like iPhone <laughs> rumors are on the nightly news. Um, yeah. that's amazing. What was that? Well, um, <laughs> I'm laughing because I realize that in some circles that's a politically charged sentence, but oh, I'm great. also laughing yeah. at the fact that 
I'm also laughing at the fact that the iPhone rumors are on the nightly news. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the pervasiveness and of just mobile devices is, I mean, the U.S. is really behind. I mean, and they're behind in that everyone because everyone in the U.S. had a PC. The what mobile means in the U.S. is all the times between in between when you're using your PC. Right. And what happened in China is for the vast majority of people, their first dev- their first computing device is the phone. Right. And and so the, the reason why WeChat is is what it is, it's not just that it gobbled up all these services. Or not, can, it didn't even gobble up. They created them. But can you also use, at th- can you use WeChat from a browser? No. Right. So it's uh, a mobile only? Uh, they have they have an app for Mac and Windows. It, what's this is actually? It's worth downloading because I think it's really interesting. People, it drives people to the wall. Like people who are used to using PCs, this app drives them to the wall. But I think if you can understand how the how the Mac app works, you'll start to kind of grok this. So what you do is you can download the WeChat app from like the Mac Apple Store or Mac Apple Store, the Mac App Store, and when you launch the app. What it does is it uh, it brings up a uh, let me watch right now. I've launched a mouse. I should get it. So you bring it up and it has your picture and you quick log in. When you quick log in, you don't actually type a username or password. It brings up a QR code. And what you have to do is you have to open the WeChat app on your phone, scan the QR code, which I'll do right now, and then boom, you're logged in on, on the desktop because like it sends it up to the WeChat servers that yes, this is this is the right device, and then mm. it and then you're logged in. It's, it's it's honestly worth downloading just to experience this because if you're a regular PC user, and I heard from some people like, oh man, have you tried using it on the PC? It's terrible. What do you mean they have a good user experience? Blah blah blah. Well. Mainly that app is there for old fogies like you and I who still want to use a PC, but it really gets the centrality of mobile. Like you have to use your yeah. phone to log in on on the PC, and once you grok that, I think you can kind of start to understand what it means to have mobile actually be the center of everything, not to be a peripheral. Yeah. All right. Here's my other thing I want to get before we wrap this up, and we we I think we're hitting the one hour mark here. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, two hours. Nope, three. three, three hours. All right. Well, we can't go over four. Um, I got it right. How do you square this obsession with the appearance of uh the external appearance of of the phones with the fact that it, all around the world, majority of users put their phones in cases, but in China, it's it by all accounts is it probably the highest rate of people putting their phones in cases because the resale protecting the re, it's the whole thing you know with the people not wanting to use the home button and using the accessibility feature to put a virtual home button on the screen because they don't want to wear out the button so that it protects the the resale value of the phone so if everybody puts their phone in a case how do you even you know like the red you know like the red phone is a perfect example you put the red iphone in a case the button isn't even red so you no way to tell that it's a red iphone uh, yeah, which is one of the reasons why it, it might be dampened. I think so. There, there's two. There's two aspects of Apple. It's not just it being a new device. It's also the fact that it's an Apple. Like Apple is a meaningful brand. It it it, it is status conferring brand. So and that remains the case and will remain the case. Uh, 
even if you're you have a case, it's not like you're worried. Yes, it's not like a a purse or something where you can see across the road that someone has a purse. You're conveying status not to strangers. You're conveying status to the people you're with and around you. So when you sit down at the office and you pull out your phone, you put it on your desk, or you're in a coffee shop, like I said, and you and you pull it out, you can see by you can just even if it's in a case, you can tell if it's a if it's a new phone or not. Uh, interestingly, you can't really tell if it's a six or if it's a seven, but you can definitely tell if it's a five S or, or right. a six, even, right. and you could tell the difference between a, and for Android and, and, um, uh, right, right. So you still iOS. get the Apple status cause you can see that it's an iPhone, but it's not, there's no, there's no status conferring for newness. And the fact that I, can afford to buy the newest phone and I have the, the best phone and, and like, why buy it? Yes. If you're, if you're rich and you can afford it and yes, by all means buy a new iPhone every year. But if you're buying an iPhone, not just because it's an iPhone, but you want the status that it confers on you. Well, why not keep the iPhone six that looks the exact same as the iPhone seven and spend your what little cash you have. I mean, cause, I mean, China is rich, relatively speaking, especially in the big cities, but on an absolute dollar basis, you know, much, much less money. Why not spend that money on buying a new wallet or something right. like that? And I, I've been thinking about it. I actually think that the prominent, the prominence of cases that the, or the, 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 I don't know what's the word I'm looking for, but the, the fact that cases are so ubiquitous actually plays against the, the ways that the iPhone seven is new because you can't see the jet black. You can't see that it's a red iPhone. You know, the color right. alone. You can see the, you can see the dual camera. Yeah, but that's it. Uh, yeah. So there are some changes, but it's, there's, it's nowhere near as much. I happen to think, and I feel like one of the most fascinating things about the, there's so much rumor and so much speculation about this year's new iPhones. It's it's clearly a higher pitch than usual years because there's this every all the rumors are saying that it's going to be something new and new is more exciting than something that's not new. Um, and like you said, that they're they're on the nightly news in Taiwan. Um, but despite the fever pitch of these rumors that there's something new and we hear that it's an edge to edge screen and stuff like that, we there's no actual leaks of what it's going to look like. Like that to me, like uh, you said, you didn't listen, but Renee Ritchie and I talked about it last week. Like it's almost excruciating reading Mark Gurman's stuff uh, uh, at Bloomberg because it's entirely written around <laughs> the central point, which is that Mark Gurman has no fucking idea what the next iPhone looks like. None. And that's it. It's really kind of hard to write the story where the gist of the story is I have no idea what the iPhone, next iPhone looks like. And so it's. His, there's his, there is a little bit. I mean, recently, isn't there like there's like some blueprints that got out, like the vertical camera and stuff like that. Supposedly, right? But they're all but they're not consistent. Yeah. You know? So the vertically aligned camera, but <laughs> I think Garmin did have something about that. But he he wasn't first though. Like I don't think any of that. I don't think the vertically aligned cameras came from him first. I think the plans leaked and then he just wrote about them. But then he wrote that it would it would help the iPhone moving the the dual camera from horizontal to vertically aligned would help the iPhone take better pictures. <laughs> oh, it wouldn't. Still, two lenses, the same distance from each other. It just it just changes where they are on the body. But anyway, uh, uh, I think that's fascinating. One, anyway, here's what I think. Here's my point. My point is this: I think Apple is very much aware of how many people 
put their phones in cases. And I think they're very much aware. And I think that part of the design of the whatever the next form factor for iPhone is, is very much designed in mind with the fact that it's going to be in a case. And I think they started this with the iPhone 6, because I think it's, I think it's the only way that they justified to themselves the camera bump, which is that for right. most users, the camera bump is irrelevant because they never notice because it's in a case. And the case, even the thinnest case, is thicker than the camera bump. The camera bump is actually a penalty for people like me who don't use a case. Yeah, I I think that's a great point. And the other um the other thing that I think that's really interesting is this idea of this iPhone like Plus or or Pro or whatever it is that's going to be much more expensive. Uh, to me, this is a very easy. Uh, it's it's interesting in a lot of respects. I I think it's a pretty optimal path actually. I think for Apple to grow revenue because like there's uh there like right now there is no we haven't te- they haven't tested how high they can go like they know they can sell a lot at this price point but they, but the iPhone plus pushed it up a hundred dollars and they sold a ton of them they're selling more even more than they expected and this is the third year in a row they've had the plus and for three years in a row they've underproduced the plus size like the the plus share of the iPhone is actually is actually becoming more and more and I'm really interested about this sort of new even higher tier sort of sort of model, and I think it is a something that will play very well in in the China market. I mean, yeah. not just uh, I think it's a balance, right? Because you don't want to ruin the brand value of the seven six hundred phone. I mean, in in once you you are getting pretty darn expensive once you're going beyond that, but. The implication of being going beyond that is the sort of status and visibility that comes from having that is even greater. And where do you strike the balance between being accessible to enough people versus getting in a iPhone 5C situation where it's kind of like the the there was a a gulf between or in perception because you're right. clearly buying the cheap iPhone, right? right. Uh, that's going to be very very interesting to see how that plays out and how how far they try to push it. Uh, yeah, I think that if it's true, and Renee w- was talking about this last week, R- Renee seems pretty sold on the idea that the successors to the seven S and seven S or seven seven and seven plus. Oh God, it's, it's I get the S's wrong. Um, whether they call it the seven S or they call it the iPhone eight or something, maybe if it's even newer, but that they'll be at this, you know, the same price points as the seven and seven plus today. That this iPhone Pro or whatever you want to call it is going to be significantly more expensive. Um, I think that's the only way to do it. It's the only way that makes sense. And I feel like a lot of times you can kind of answer like the 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 criminology of Apple is is it going to cause people to lose their shit the moment it's announced? And like let's say <laughs> let's say they come out with let's say they come out with a, a replacement for the seven and the seven plus. Call it the seven S and seven S plus, just for the sake of this discussion, at the same price points, and it has reasonably you know what you expect from Apple year over year technology wise the gpu graph keeps going up on the hockey stick the camera has x y and z that it does better and you can take a side-by-side picture with the year old camera and you can see things that are better in the new one um better battery life maybe you know just typical things like that and they have this phone that is a jaw-dropping physical form factor and let's say the starting price is fifteen hundred dollars like people would lose their freaking shit if all of a yeah. sudden in this market of Apple and these Samsung and all these super phones that are in the $700, $800 range and Apple just doubles the price 
for this new top tier and sells a fifteen or sixteen hundred dollar starting point iPhone. Um, would people lose their shit? Absolutely. Now, the other tricky Apple thing that they could be doing is seeding this idea of a higher than thousand dollar starting point, and then just making the new design at the at the existing starting points that the whole thing is some kind of ruse and that everybody thinks fears that this new phone is going to be super expensive and it turns out to be, you know, the same price as the current ones. Cause remember like the, uh, famously the, that, the iPad yep. was <laughs> leaked to the Wall Street Journal's a thousand dollars and it started at like four ninety nine. That was amazing. Cause it, it, it works so well. Like people were blown away at how inexpensive this device was. Right. Because, <laughs> because and, that, they'd, and they'd it, set the expectations. Right. Jobs had talked it up, sufficiently talked it up during the keynote, lounging in his nice little chair, uh, that it easily sounded like he was going to say, this thing is so freaking great. You're going to love spending a thousand dollars on this. And it was half the price. But anyway, they, yep. I, I could see them doing it both ways. I would have to say that in the post Steve Jobs world, it's more likely that they're going to sell it for $1,500. Yeah, I mean that that people would definitely uh, lose their lose their minds on that. The the uh, other thing that's interesting, I wonder if the high end is there's going to be. Do you think there will be like a pencil sort of thing, like the the Samsung Note uh, sort? I mean, that would be a way to differentiate it and call it Pro. It kind of match the the iPad Pro. I don't pro know. Naming. I don't know. I I can't see them doing a pencil for it. Or if they did, it would just be the regular pencil, right? I, I don't know. Yeah, where it, just, where it has pencil support as opposed to having something built in. Yeah. It could be, could be the pencil. I don't know. I mean, it obviously the pencil, obvious pencil support in the device obviously costs enough money that they didn't put it in the quote unquote new iPad nine point seven inch. You know that. Well, only it's also a, it's a very strong differentiator too. I mean, right. it's a very clear thing that this more expensive device does this, this cheaper right. device does not. I could see them tossing at, if they start at like fourteen, fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars. I could see them putting AirPods in the box. Yeah, that's. I mean, I, 50, that, that would blow my. It would blow my mind. If it was fifteen hundred dollars. I, I was. I was thinking like maybe like a thousand or, or or something like that. Maybe you're right. Maybe maybe they'll go all out. I think it makes a lot more sense. In fact, I think if it you're going to go for it, go for it. Well, here's my argument. I've been thinking about this an awful lot. Is if it's only a hundred dollars more expensive, like going from the seven to the seven plus, like getting plus sized with the otherwise same components is a hundred dollar upgrade, right? Or is it a little more than a hundred dollars, like 120 or something? Uh, yeah. Yeah. They, they did raise the price. And I think that was a lesson for Apple too. They raised the price and it didn't matter. It, they actually sold even more pluses this year than, than last year. Right. Rel- I, uh, relatively speaking. I think it has to be so much more expensive that it keeps people from buying it. That people say, I can, I'm not, there's no way I'm buying it. I love it. It looks amazing, but I'm not spending $1,600 on an iPhone. And, and therefore it, can ship in much lower quantities. Yeah. Because if it's only $100 more, everybody would buy it. Everybody, or not everybody, but an enormous number of people who would have otherwise bought the second level, the one that's the new phones that are a level down, they're all just going to get the one that's more expensive. It can't just be $100 more expensive if they're also doing, if they're really doing three new phones. Yeah. Yeah, the Apple it's really, the whole Apple pricing curve is really fascinating because uh, again because it's a monopoly, right? There you if you want iOS, you only have one choice. So the optimal where does Apple str- find the right line between uh, you know maximizing maximizing profit, which by the way, the, the like the maximizing profit price is always going to be higher than 
what it would be in a more competitive way, or right. obviously. Uh, you're going to sell fewer devices, but your, your, your total profit's going to be more. Uh, yeah, but they've, you're, they've never... I was. I said before they've never really pushed the high end, but you're right. With the plus, they already did push it up a hundred, and they pushed up another thirty dollars. And it has not only in its increased sales, it hasn't decreased them. Which is no. like, how much more headroom do, might they have? I, it might be a lot, and I think it makes a lot. Of, I, I, the more I think about it, the more I think it's going to be. You know, who knows? Or maybe it'd be two thousand dollars. I don't know. Maybe it'd be crazy expensive. You know, because they're going to put stuff into it that they cannot. They can't put in a seven hundred dollar phone, and or you know, cost wise, and or they simply cannot make in sufficient quantity. There's you know, they sold I think seventy seven million phones in the holiday quarter last year, something like that, seventy some million. Um, what if there's some kind of cool new technology, but they can only reasonably expect to get maybe five million of them in the first quarter? You know, then they'd have to. They can either not make the device and and stick to what they can make in in quantities like 70 million or they could price the device at a point where 5 million would be closer to where supply and demand meet yeah it, that or or it could just be that they they want to make more money i mean well they, remember too this is the company that sold $20,000 gold apple watches i mean it's right. it, you know and they still you know they have the edition now i mean and you know if they called it the iPhone edition and they, maybe they'll charge $2,500 for it. I don't know. And maybe it will be ceramic. I mean, right. the, the, uh, I can't remember, uh, what his name is. The Greg, guy who writes those brilliant, Greg, Greg uh, machining articles. Yeah. Greg he kind of shot down the whole ceramic iPhone thing. And, and a big part of his point was about, was about volume. Yep. Like there's no way if they were actually going to do this at volume, one, it'd be almost impossible, but right. two, like we would definitely know about it. Right. Uh, but if it's a limited edition, $1,500 phone, well, Apple could probably pull that off much more easily. I mean, they're already making, they're already making the watch. Right. It's not even, I, I, it could be something that sells in so few quantities because it has to, because like maybe it's ceramics, maybe it's these OLED screens, whatever else the thing may have. I, I don't know. What if it costs $3,000? And, and this actually, the Apple II edition, my, so my wife, my wife actually has it. Uh, it, it's, it looks good. I think it looks I mean, better than the the gold ones just looked wrong. Yes, right? I, mean, I agree. But the the white ceramic with it, it it's it it looks really really good, and yep. it pairs with all the straps, and it looks fantastic. Yep. Uh, a phone that looked like that would be would be it'd be hot. Yeah, it looks somehow to me. I've always been a fan of the black phones, um, and to me, I just don't like the way that the black rectangle of the screen looks surrounded by a white bezel. I don't like it on an iPad. I just don't. It's a personal thing. Whereas on that the additional watch, the way that the black and the white integrate, because it's not really a black rectangle surrounded by white, it's that black sapphire piece on top with the black screen. It right. looks really good. Yeah, and maybe just a watch usually kind of has an offset color for the watch face anyway. So yeah. it, it, it's maybe it fits yeah. your sort of expectations for the wrists. Yeah. Um, anyway. So watch this become like Business Insider the headline tomorrow. John Gruber says uh, iPhone edition is going to cost three thousand dollars. <laughs> now, <laughs> right? I'm literally nobody has ever. I have no source on this whatsoever. I'm just speculating. I'm just saying it wouldn't shock me, and I would relish the. <laughs> I would just love the the post keynote reaction. Yeah, and I, 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 I mean, I, I'm talking myself into my own self created rumor, but this idea of it being a 
being ceramic, being a different material, yep. I think would really help them and pull it off. Is anybody talking about the material of the phone? I don't think that they are. And they're talking about glass backs, but the glass back rumor seems to be about the the you know regular level new iPhones. Right, and it's it's a way to get away with selling again. I think like I think this high end phone is gonna like be would be a huge hit in China uh, for all these status sort of conferring reasons I just I just discussed, right. and this is a way to get away with that without because like, I was thinking about the whole pencil thing, right? And I don't think Apple wants to do that on the phone either. I was trying to think about the what is gonna be the what's gonna be the sell to justify it being so much more expensive. Whereas if it's a completely different material. Uh, in the case, you know, I, I think that's you could, especially since they already set the precedent with the watch, right? How much does the edition cost? Like twelve hundred or something. Yep. So it's 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 four times as much as the as the base watch, and much more a much more reasonable spread in price, I would say, than the the, the original edition, to say the least. And you could see a similar thing. I think that it would be a they they could pull that off. People would. Be less. They would lose their shit. They would lose. I can't even square properly. Uh, they would lose their shit because the price is so high. Right. But it wouldn't be like a how on earth are they? Can they even contemplate just find this? Like wow, they actually they actually went there as opposed to I don't understand. This doesn't make any sense. Right, and and I guarantee you that the thing I've cited it too. I think it's such a lovely lovely uh, little quote. But the Andy Warhol quote about. Coke being like the greatest American product because there's just one type of Coke and it's the best. There's it's the best soda, and you know that the bum on the street drinks the exact same Coke that the president drinks that Liz Taylor drinks. Nobody else, you know, nobody can get a better Coke. Um, and like with the Apple Watch, I got so much stuff from readers who are like, "This is a complete violation of Apple's principles because Apple's always been like Coke in that regard, where you can get the." Uh, you know, you can get the best phone in the world and you pay the same that people buy for other phones. You know, the president of the United States can't get a better cell phone than than you can. But if you're gonna sell it for three or four thousand dollars, then all of a sudden you're, you know, cutting people off from the best. But uh, Trust me, Apple's but, already but it, Apple's already crossed that. Well, no, but they didn't though, because the low end watch was still the same. Right. You could get the exact same functionality, and right. that because Apple at the end of the day is a software company, right? And and, but this is so interesting. Is <laughs> what if maybe this high end phone? There are no other differences. Right. Like maybe the hardware right. is completely the same. It's just material. And what? What? Because the, the problem is Apple's market in China is just different than the rest of the world. So I, again, I think if they do this, I really think it's a China thing because in China they are competing on brand and status. So in that case, you don't want to be Andy Warhol. You don't right. want to be Andy Warhol's Coke. You want to be able to create right. a special Coke that people will pay lots of money to get. Well, and like how they can people, square, square I've, I've that tossed, circle. I've tossed the. I've tossed it out where defending. Even I, I, obviously it was a mistake. I don't think it was wrong to try though with the solid gold edition. And I, I think the ceramic is a terrific uh, second stab at the same idea. Um, but to me, it's not that you're getting a better Coke. It's that exactly like you said, like, you know, because of the software and because the, the CPU is the same and everything. It's more like drinking your Coke out of a very fancy goblet as opposed right, to exactly. the bum on the street is drinking it out of the can. It, you're both getting the same Coke, but the person drinking it out of the, you know, gold rimmed goblet is, you know, paid for the wrapper. Uh, one thing that would be different would be the display because every all the rumors point to. Two of the you know the two regular new iPhones having the same size 
4.7 and 5.5 inch displays and the 5.8 inch super fancy, you know, edge to edge display would be on the new one. But I wouldn't be surprised if it has the exact same system on a chip and same RAM and same storage and stuff like that. Well, I, I, I yeah, maybe even I've the same always, camera. I don't know, right? I, see, I've all, I've always been skeptical of the 7s and 7s plus having the same form factor as the 7 and there being a new form factor at the very high end because we already saw how that plays out with the with the with the 5c it's like it, it's well i didn't say same form factor and the rumors don't say same form factor the rumors just say same screen sizes got it okay so, yeah i mean I, we'll see i mean i I, this is pure speculation, as I, I think we said at the beginning, but we could say right. it again. Like, I'm completely making this stuff up. Uh, but I, yeah, it seems just seems to make much more sense to me that the only differentiation being materials. But maybe you're right. Maybe maybe it's bigger, and bigger is better in China. As right. also, we'll note. I mean, this the <laughs> people you can care about getting like a small form factor, like the SE phone. If you're not using your phone for everything, right? That that almost comes with the presumption that you're using a PC regularly, if you're or, or an iPad or whatever. If you want a smaller phone, uh, if the phone is actually th- what you use all the time and it's the key to your life and everything that you do, both inside the house and outside the house, you want a bigger you want a bigger screen. Like there's just no there's no ifs ends or buts about it. All right, Ben Thompson. Todd Vaziri uh, is going to be very happy. Todd Vaziri is the talk show listener who periodically charts uh, episode lengths over time. <laughs> He'll be very but, but he usually, whenever I post a long episode, he usually he usually DMs me a th- just a thumbs up. No no context, no reference. I just get a I get a thumbs up from Todd Vaziri. That's I, funny. I predict this will be a thumbs up episode. Uh, everybody can read you and your your fine uh, work at uh, Stratechery. Just just search for Ben Thompson on Google. Search for Ben Thompson on Google. <laughs> I think one of the first times I was on, I misspelled Stratechery. And uh, I think I went and bought the the misspelled domain because yeah. I spelled it wrong. And then I directed it to my site. Uh, yeah, just search and, for Ben Thompson on Google. And you Google. can't go wrong. And we've got uh, at Ben Thompson on Twitter, a fine Twitter account. And then there's also your No Tech Ben Twitter account where you tweet about the uh, the NBA. Who, yeah, who's your pick? It, it, Who do you think is going to win the, the NBA this year? Oh, Warriors. I, I, I think they're the very heavy favorites. I mean, I, it would be amazing and phenomenal if, if the Cavs were able to knock them off. But, I mean, I think they have to be the oops, they have to be the very heavy favorites. Yeah, what's going on with the Spurs? Why are the Spurs struggling? Well, the problem, the, 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 the problem with the Spurs at a very high level is they don't have very dynamic guard play because their guards got old and now Tony Parker's injured, uh, which is very sad. But the I think another problem is the Spurs system is so... Uh, their system is so amazing and everyone plays well and they always have amazing bench units. And I think a lot of the reason in the regular season, they're just better prepared and deeper than all the other teams. So they, they just win lots of games because of the system. The problem is when you get to the playoffs, the rotations become shorter. You play fewer players. Sometimes you play too few. Like I think right. the Spurs won last night because the Rockets just got too tired. They only played seven people, right. uh, seven players. But once you get to the playoffs, the it's, it's not the median versus the median, whereas the regular season is kind of like the system. In the playoffs, it's the best versus the best. You're playing your best guys. They're playing more minutes. You're expressly game planning for your opponent, attacking their weaknesses and picking on them again and again and again. And so the playoffs are just so very different than the regular season that I think they have a hard time going up to another level because they're already at such a high level. Yeah, and uh, the and- intensity is so much higher that it tends to keep the games closer and then you get in a fourth quarter, and it really just comes down to your, you know, your best five or six against the other best five or six. 
Yeah, well, even just the whole game. Because like, a lot of Spurs in the regular season, in like that second and fourth quarter when the bench units are in, they'll often blow the game open. Yeah. But in, in the in the playoffs, the, the those time periods are very, very short. Um, so, I mean, the, Spur, the Spurs are amazing. They, they've won four or five titles. People uh, think five titles in the last, you know, whatever number yeah. of years. The NBA, it's unbelievably difficult to win a title. Like four teams account for like 70% of all the titles. Because... It just—it's so dependent on having the best player that a best player or a collection of best players just dominates for 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 a long time. Right. Uh, but the Spurs have also, in that time period, they've won a lot. They've also lost a lot, even when they're the higher seed. And I think uh, it's because of this. They're a great. They perform at such a high level with such consistency that they dominate the regular season again and again. But that is less meaningful in a playoff context. Yep. Uh, do you think the Warriors lose a game before the finals? Uh, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't I, think I so think either. If I, uh, I think it would I, take an injury or something. Somebody's gonna. Somebody would have to get. I think the way they're playing now, there's no one in the West who's going to win a game from them. Yeah, I mean, the probably the best bet is Houston gets there and they just make like thirty threes in a game, right? Um, right. And, and just just. Sh- through sheer shooting, so I think it'd be, that'd be a reasonable bet. Um, but yeah, th- there was that game a few months ago. Again, the regular season, so don't, can't take too much from it. But where uh, the Spurs jumped out to like a twenty-five to three lead on the Warriors, and the Warriors uh, ended up winning by like fifteen. That's crazy. like it, that. It was like it was just demoralizing. It had to be demoralizing for the Spurs. Just demoralizing as a basketball fan. It's like yeah, th- th- it's it, it's over. <laughs> All right, I look forward to uh, seeing you next month in person. Yes, I will. I will see you soon.